you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues for another episode of The Mandalorian Season 3. This week we're talking about Chapter 23, The Spies. Um, Man, and right on the heels of, uh, you know, we just did another huge episode this week talking about all the awesome news for Star Wars Celebration, and now we're back talking about another awesome episode of Mandalorian. I can't wait to dive into this one. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? Boy, do we got an episode to talk about tonight, Kyle. <laughs> this one, I mean, obviously it's not the finale, but there were certain elements where it did feel like a finale type episode where some big, awesome stuff happened. So, yeah, this is going to be a great one. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, man, uh I mean, we don't really have any news to talk about because we just had everything from Celebration. So, I mean, let's just jump right in and talk about this episode. Um, And we don't necessarily have to go through like scene by scene, but I feel like the first big thing we should talk about from the episode is the opening scene or the opening couple of scenes where first we get um, uh, Elijah Kane on Coruscant in this really cool like Blade Runner-esque like it's raining you know dark grimy like neon signs all kinds of stuff like that um it, you know kind of underworld Coruscant vibes but it's definitely it's a different look from what we've seen in Clone Wars of just like level 13 13 and stuff it you know it was more like uh it had less of like just a an underworld um like slums kind of feel and more of like a, a kind of seedy like you know a place where there would be like seedy nightclubs and stuff like that um it was a really cool visual to open up the episode and a really cool scene here of her kind of sneaking through the streets of coruscant going to find this probe droid where she makes contact with Moff gideon um and we do indeed find out confirmed that the pirates were working for the empire um, or at the very least that the Empire was keeping tabs on them and maybe trying to influence those events. Um, I guess we just still don't know for sure that the pirates were like hired by the Empire or something like that. But certainly the Empire wanted uh, those pirates to take over on Navarro. And she tells them that they failed and that Bogatan and Din Djarin, uh you know, teamed up to fight them and that their clans are working together now. And Moff Gideon's like, all right, you know, continue with your mission. I'll deal with our Mandalorian friends. And then you see him, uh, you know, in this kind of cavern, you know, these like, you know, hallways with like imperial looking architecture, but it's clearly carved into some kind of like rock or underground bunker or something. And uh, 
he goes and walks through this doorway and you just see this hallway with rows of laser gates and these like new type of stormtroopers standing there that look really cool. And then he, mm-hmm. you know, walks through all this, all these rows of security and into this big uh, conference room where there's hollow projections of all these other Imperial admirals and commanders and moths and stuff. Um, one of them is Captain Paleon from the EU, who's Thrawn's right-hand man. One of them is Brendel Hux, uh, the father of, uh, you know, General Hux from the sequel trilogy. Um, as Armitage Hux is uh, is that guy's name. But yeah, so we got, you know, his... It's funny, it's supposed to be his dad, and the actor they got to play him actually is Donald Gleason's brother. Um, yeah, that was such a cool touch. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Um and they're all talking about, you know, sort of their plans for the Empire. And they talk about Thrawn's imminent return. And uh, they mention um, Project Necromancer. Um, <laughs> you know, just all this cool stuff that's like, okay, this is, you know, when it comes to the the world building and sort of fleshing out the scope of this story and sort of where are we headed? How is this connecting to the sequel trilogy? How big of a threat is the Empire uh it was just like all right here's all the information you wanted to know all in one scene in the beginning of this episode so this was just incredible and then uh but it was really cool the way they talked about how um you know they're kind of trying to give off the impression that they're all uh you know just sort of independent warlords um and that they're you know disorganized that, that they're all doing their own thing when really they're meeting in this they call it the shadow council um and, uh, you know, they obviously are planning much bigger things and working in a much more coordinated effort. And they're waiting for Thrawn to return and kind of spearhead this big resurgence of the Empire. But they also do have their own different motives and objectives. And some of them are like, hey, I want to keep plundering the hyperspace lanes. And, you know, there's a bunch of money to be made out here. And then, um, you know, he talks about how Hux is really focused on cloning and... Um, uh, the the project necromancer and um you know so each of them are kind of focused on their own thing and then like moff gideon says that uh he's like yeah you keep mentioning thrawn in his return but like i don't see him where is he like we keep being promised this thing and then you know he never comes back so like maybe it's time for new leadership and some of them agree with him and so um i mean obviously we know thrawn is going to come back but uh you know there we we may see some division in the ranks. I wonder if, um, you know, maybe Moff Gideon is going to split off from the rest of them and maybe take some of them with him. If we'll maybe eventually see some infighting there, or if, you know, is Moff Gideon's ultimate demise going to be Thrawn taking him out for being too, you know, rebellious or hot-headed or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to speculate on just from this one scene for what this could all mean and where we could see this all go. But it was really cool. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Tim, but like I had seen some of the description of this scene um, from Celebration because obviously they showed this whole mm, okay. th- this whole epi- they showed this whole episode for uh, the crowd at Celebration, but they also showed this opening scene at the um, the studio showcase panel. And um, I had read some brief descriptions of it. I knew that Thrawn was mentioned. I knew that Paleon was mentioned. I did not know that Paleon was actually in the meeting and was, you know, doing a lot of the talking and that Brendel Hux was in it and stuff. And so it was nice that there were still some surprises in there. Um, And uh, yeah, this was just, 
you know, again, them blowing the doors off of this thing, you know, right off the bat. And I think, again, the biggest thing for me was that, that uh, I took away from this was, you know, ever since really the show began um, and, you know, seeing this Imperial remnant and stuff, we've always kind of wondered, like, is Moff Gideon the top dog? Does he report to Thrawn? Are there more people out there? Like, how big is this remnant empire? How big of a threat is it? You know, who are the key players? Um, you know, what are their goals? All that kind of stuff. And they just gave us a big info dump with all of that stuff here at the beginning of the episode. So that was awesome. Yeah, this was such a cool way to kick off the episode, especially with Moff Gideon not being in the season up until now, up until now, just a great kind of reemergence for him as a character and making his debut this season. It couldn't have been better. <laughs> it was just really cool. And one thing I want to say about the very beginning with Elia Kane uh, that we see her communicating with Gideon, this episode had a lot of great visuals and shots, but I think one that might be forgotten about a little bit is that shot of the probe droid just standing tall over Elia Kane before it uh, gives the transmission of Gideon. I just think it's a really cool visual scene from that perspective, seeing the probe droid kind of up that close. You're kind of looking up, the camera's looking up towards it. It was just a really cool visual, I felt, for a, pro a probe droid that I, don't, I never really thought probe droids are necessarily like the coolest looking designs in Star Wars. But for this moment in this scene, I thought it, its presence, like it really stood out to me in that shot right there. I thought it looked great. Um, but yeah, getting into that moment where Gideon does meet with the Shadow Council. And I did actually not read anything as far as any descriptions, recaps of the episode or that just that scene that was shown. I almost actually forgot that they showed a clip. I remember reading about it that last Friday, but didn't remember until you actually mentioned it right now and didn't realize that that was the clip that they showed. But I'm kind of glad I didn't because it was just, again, a nice, cool surprise. And just a great way to show Moff Gideon's return. Um, but it does make you think about the Imperial remnants that are out there because it was just cool to see because all we've read or were able to know about this is what we've read in some of the novels and um, some of the comics. But to kind of see it visually on screen was just really cool. Um, and then seeing all these different Imperial officers that make up this council. I was kind of hoping we'd see the live action debut of Ray Sloan here. Um, so I wonder if she's still part um because i don't know because if i remember if just going from the aftermath stuff as far as how long um that last i know it doesn't that story didn't take or last this long up to where mandalorian's taking place but um i'm not sure if the story has been told for like how long ray sloan stood stood with the empire if she made it to where it became the first order or not but it would have been cool especially this early on um, in the timeline before we get to the sequel trilogy events in the First Order, if she, we did see her as part of that uh, Shadow Council because we know she was a main part of that Imperial Remnant that went off into the Unknown Regions. And it just kind of makes me think, is there still a section of Imperial officers that aren't part of that Shadow Council but are separate and made it to the Unknown Regions? But I don't think so because part of me was thinking, oh, maybe this is just part of, of the Empire that's just clinging on to what they have and just wanting to make whatever's left of the empire um build it up a little bit and kind of make their attack later on but it, there's also another section of the empire that they don't even know about the ones that did go off into the unknown regions with ray sloan that is slowly going to build up the first order but 
Um, Brendel Hux was part of that group. And the fact that he was in the Shadow Council too just makes me think that this probably is part or, of that Imperial Remnant that went off into the Unknown Regions and that will eventually uh, become the First Order. Because the things that they were mentioning too was just <laughs> going to line up to what we eventually see with the First Order. But yeah, just seeing them all communicate like this and then it's like they just did a great job of showing that they're all out from themselves and each one of those wants to be the one in power but yet when they ask forget exactly what they said but it's like we're all doing our things so i was like to be one organized group for the good of the empire they're all like yes 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 of course type of thing where it's like no we don't have any hidden agendas or our own uh plans and schemes to take power but the way they were saying it is <laughs> like of course they do we know especially gideon because he's obviously not telling them uh the truth and what he's really doing and just kind of saying how oh cloning's not my expertise that was yours but yet we know that's a big part of what he's researching so um mm -hmm. all that was great and then like you said hearing that name project necromancer it's just man <laughs> we all could probably guess what that is referring to um but at the same time, it was cool to hear. And then just like, getting more insight into how everything went down as far as the return or the resurrection, quote unquote, of Palpatine that we see later on. And we all know it started from way back, uh, well, even while Palpatine was still alive, that he set this in motion, obviously. But uh, knowing that when we're at this stage and where he is dead, then uh, there are those continuing that research and hearing the name of it. Project Necromancer, just a cool name. I mean, <laughs> I always associated that with uh, Lord of the Rings and Sauron as far as him being the Necromancer um, in the time oh, period yeah. of the Hobbit films. So kind of hearing that now uh, played in the Star Wars universe was really cool. So <laughs> um, yeah, just so much great stuff that you just uh, were geeking out about as that scene was playing out. Just seeing this aspect in this part of the Empire. Uh, that we haven't seen before in this time period. It was really, really cool. And again, I just think a great way to reintroduce uh, Moff Gideon into the series. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, you know, I mean, this was the kind of thing that I was kind of hoping to get last episode, um, but this one mm -hmm. certainly delivered and made up for lost time. And for Moff Gideon not having been in the show this whole season, um, he certainly made an impression. And uh you know, it certainly makes even more more of an impression later in the episode. We're we're two for three so far in seasons of The Mandalorian, where in episode seven, Moff Gideon shows up and just ruins people's day. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, well, well, we'll get more to the stuff at the end later. But, um, yeah, this was just a great introduction. And like I said, a great pulling back the curtain on um how big of a threat this imperial remnant really is and how they're operating and everything and sort of how moff gideon fits with the whole uh the whole puzzle you know sort of where his standing is and, and how many other people are involved in it so that was really great i did also hear some other people mention that you know they would have liked to see race alone as part of this and that would have been cool i wonder if i mean there's got to probably be a reason for that right like mm -hmm. um because you knew that name was probably on the table. Maybe we'll see her eventually, you know, somewhere else in one of these shows, or, you know, maybe they've got some other plans for her or something. But um, one other thing, too, uh, before we move on, I forgot to mention regarding Thrawn. I was actually a little bit surprised that everyone knew about Thrawn and that Thrawn is involved with the Shadow Council and is that presumably the leader amongst them. 
I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I was just thinking um, he was still having made his way back. And we were going to see that in the Ahsoka series where he's going to make his presence known. And it was kind of going to be a shock or a surprise to those uh, remnants of the Empire that are still around. And then that would, when they see his return, they'll probably rally to him. And knowing that that's a great way to build up their forces. And obviously, they're still going to do that now. That's what they're relying on. But I always figured it was going to be kind of a surprise when Thrawn came back. But I guess he escaped for whatever him and uh, Ezra were taken by the Purgle uh, sooner than expected, at least um, from what I was thinking. But that was a little bit of a surprise that Thrawn is, you know, a big part of this remnants of the Empire here and uh, acting as leader pretty much. So um, we'll obviously see that more played out and fleshed out and hopefully explain more once we get to the Ahsoka series. But that did stand out to me when everyone was uh, mentioning his name and just um, kind of sounded like he should have been there <laughs> for that not only that meeting but other meetings well see i didn't quite so much get the impression that he was their leader because again they kept talking about his imminent return and you know waiting for him and again moff gideon keeps being like you know i keep hearing about him but where is he and it seemed to me like i don't think they've necessarily had thrawn at these meetings before i just think they kind of have all their hopes on him like they said uh something about you know thrawn's return will herald you know, a new age of imperial might or something along those lines. Um, and even when uh, when Gideon suggests new leadership and they say, well, we have Project Necromancer in place for that. So it's almost like, and I mean, this is kind of just me speculating, you know, we might get, you know, them going even deeper on this or kind of get more confirmation or whatever. But it kind of sounds like, you know, after everything fell apart, after Palpatine died and, you know, um, the Empire kind of started dissolving and everything. That They probably have multiple contingency plans and they kind of figure their best hope to make an immediate comeback is Thrawn because they're like, he was like the top dog of the Imperial military, you know, Grand Admiral, brilliant military strategist, all this kind of stuff. And then he disappeared without a trace. And they're like, if we can find Thrawn and bring him back, that's going to be like phase one. Like that's, that's our best chance right now. And then they're like, if that doesn't work out, we can always try cloning Palpatine, you know, cause we know obviously that that doesn't happen for another like 30 years or something that, um, you know, he finally comes back and rises to power and rise of Skywalker. So, um, you know, the fact that they're working on that right now, they're probably still like, okay, but that's, you know, that's kind of more far off. Like if the Thrawn thing doesn't work out, then that's our fallback plan. Um, but right now they're kind of pinning all their hopes on Thrawn. But I don't remember anything explicitly that kind of implied that like he was in, that he was in charge and pulling the strings and just happened to not be there for that meeting. It seemed mm. like he, I think he probably is still off in wherever he disappeared to with Ezra. But, um, and I mean, maybe he's come back to somewhere because obviously like you know as even in season two of mando like ahsoka asking the magistrate where he was i'm like well he can't it can't be just him and ezra off in the unknown regions if they're kind of hinting that some people know where he is you know um so maybe paleon is kind of connected to that and maybe has some information and uh you know has good reason to know or at least believe or hope that Thrawn might be coming back soon. Um, and maybe he is kind of starting to put those wheels in motion and maybe contacting people, maybe starting to put events into place. I don't know, but 
Um, I definitely don't think that he's been like the head honcho all along and all these guys are like following his orders right now. Yeah, probably. I think mainly Gideon's remark about new leadership being needed when I was like referring to Thrawn, obviously him, with him not being there and given the fact that he recognizes that there should be new leadership, maybe imply that Thrawn was the leader of that, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, I just can't wait to dig into all this stuff once it finally, we finally see Thrawn and Ahsoka and just get more insight to that. And just, I just love seeing these, again, early stages of the First Order being developed and uh, rise to power as we'll later see in the uh, sequel trilogy. And again, it's when Snoke actually becomes a player and involved in this. <laughs> I hope we get that story somewhere down the line too. I don't know what it's going to mm -hmm. be in these uh, TV series, but the more stuff we get with these series, the longer it goes. Um, I think we'll eventually get all the answers that uh, we're looking for in regards to that. So just more great seed planting here for what's to come in the future. Yeah, I mean, how great would that be, though, if in, you know, however long these shows end up going, like one of the final seasons of Mando or Ahsoka or something like that, um, if we did see the birth of Snoke mm -hmm. and then kind of get a... Because that was one of the things that I... I didn't really like about him in the sequel trilogy is just like we didn't know where he came from what his goals were um you know anything really and i i know people make that argument that like oh well you know you didn't know that about palpatine in the original trilogy he was just kind of there as the the evil villain it's like okay yeah but like now we're going 30 years in the future and there's just another big bad guy. Like, you know, we kind of need to know how we got from point A to point B and, you know, stuff like that. So I think to see if we were to see the origin of Snoke at some point, I mean, obviously now, you know, because of Rise of Skywalker, if we know he's a clone of Palpatine and, you know, we have more of that information and stuff. But I think still to to show his origin and start establishing him him as a character and seeing um you know, how does he start sort of putting his um, plans in motion and stuff? And like, how how do we transition from this Imperial remnant that's, you know, waiting for Thrawn to come back? And then obviously he's going to be following Thrawn when he shows up to them or to then, uh, you know, them following Snoke and him kind of biding his time to attack with the First Order in another 20 years or something. So that'll be really cool to see, too, if we ever get to uh, get to that point. Yeah. Um, but then... Uh, we go and move on from there and we see uh, all the Mandalorians returning to Navarro with their giant, uh, you know, the, the fleet with all the Imperial ships that they recommandeered and everything. And just that great shot of the Imperial cruiser flying overhead with the Mythosaur skull painted underneath. That looked awesome. <laughs> that, was that was a so really cool, cool visual. Um, and then seeing, uh, you know, of course, Bogatan and the armor, like bringing the two clans of Mandalorians together. And of course, there's going to be tension there, but also, um, you know, just cool to see the the uniting of those two peoples. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, there's there's more stuff to get into throughout the episode talking about the bonding between the Mandalorian clans. But before we get to that, I got to talk about maybe my favorite aspect of this episode, which is <laughs> might be right. the Mandalorians show up. And Grief Karga comes out to welcome them and he gives Mando a gift. He, you know, he gives him some fancy wine or something. And then says, uh, oh, I got another gift for you too. And we go back to his office and see, you know, in walks 
IG-11, except it's IG-12 now, and his memory circuit's been completely removed, and it's basically just a mech suit that's being piloted by one of the Anzellans, who they don't name, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Babu Frick, because, like, he's wearing you the think exact so? same outfit. He's wearing this, like, I'd have to go back and double-check, but I'm pretty sure he's wearing the exact same goggles and everything that uh, Babu Frick wears in Rise of Skywalker. Um, when we it wouldn't be a huge in- surprise, but... Yeah, when we saw them all in the first episode, none of them really stuck out to me as like, oh, that's supposed to be Babu Frick. But when we see this one, I'm like, that looks like Babu Frick. Like, that's him, right? Um, If it's not him, he looks very similar because he's got like the same kind of mustache, I think, the same, like the same goggles that he wears. Um, Either way, if it's not him, it's one of the Anzellans and they're adorable and hilarious anyways. Um, it's his but brother, then he... Abu Brick. That's what his name is. <laughs> Abu Brick. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he gets out and Grief puts Grogu in this tiny little pilot seat to drive IG-12. And then he's got buttons in there that he can communicate with to make IG-12 say yes and no. And he keeps, you know, Mando's like, no, I don't like this. He's too young to drive machinery. And he gives it no, 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 no. And Grief's like, oh, come on, let him try it out. He's like, yes, 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 yes. And then he just is like driving the thing around the room, you know, stomping and marching and Grogu happy as a clam. He's like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then keeps doing that as they're walking down the street outside. And oh my God, I was dying laughing at that um yeah. in fact i watched, uh, i stayed up to watch the episode at midnight uh after my wife had already gone to bed and i had to like physically like cover my mouth to keep myself from just like bursting out laughing and waking her up <laughs> um god if that's not my favorite grogu moment of the entire series i don't know what is like that was just peak you know cuteness and just unadulterated joy and fun and also like you know borderline like over the top wackiness but one of those things is just like it works um mm-hmm. you know like cuz you wondered like where where are they going with the whole IG11 thing you know from the beginning of the season and exactly. it was like was that was that just an excuse for them to was like was it just an excuse for him to go to Navarro to set the whole pirate thing in motion um, and then go to Tatooine and, you know, get R5 from Pelimoto. And I was like, well, are they ever going to, you know, come back around to that? And then I'm like, if, if the outcome of all of this is that Grogu now gets to drive around the shell of IG-11 and, uh, communicate with people in Taika Waititi's voice, um, I'm all for it. Like it was, oh man, that was just so much fun. Boy, like as you said, as we were speculating, if we'll see more of IG-11 and what is going to become of the droid, never in a million years would I have guessed this. <laughs> this is what they had planned. But boy, am I so glad they did because it was great. It was just pure joy. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, you would think Grogu hitting the button, no, 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 yes, 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 would get old or annoying. But so far, it hasn't yet in this episode. He kept hitting it nonstop, especially when they were walking down the street. Man, it was great. I just love the look of it visually, too, seeing an IG droid's body with Grogu in the middle of it. 
it's almost reminded me a little bit of uh krang from ninja turtles <laughs> the big pink brain or who's at the body of a big robot in the middle <laughs> obviously totally different designs but i couldn't help but think of that being the ninja turtle geek that i am but man it was just so much fun and as i mean as i was watching it i was cracking up like you were and i could only imagine that the reaction this got at celebration when this was screened, this probably had the room busting up <laughs> with laughter and just probably no one could hear uh, any dialogue that was being spoken by Din Djarin here because they're just too busy laughing. <laughs> it was just probably a great moment to experience with a bunch of other Star Wars fans. It was just so good. And the other thing too that it reminded me of, especially when Grogu stopped at that food stand and was eating and he grabbed the uh, Meluron fruit. That was Meluron, wasn't it? <laughs> it was mm, like yeah, it. I think that was a Meluron. Like he grabs it, he tries to take it away from Din as he's trying to take it away from him. It just kind of gave me Yoda from Dagobah vibes when he's just searching through oh, yeah. stuff and just being really playful. It's like almost unintentionally, that's almost like a part of the species in some way. <laughs> but it just reminded me of that. Um, it, it was just great all around. Just something didn't think we'd get or didn't think we needed. But boy, <laughs> I can't imagine going anywhere else now that we have Grogu in that IG-11 or I, I'm sorry, IG-12. <laughs> I gotta remember that. It was just perfect. Yeah, it was just hilarious. And just, again, what makes this episode great is just how it balanced so many different tones um, with a story and action, uh, seriousness, dark moments and humor and all of it, as we'll get to later on, just was done so, so well in this episode. And in this case, with the humor, it couldn't be any better than what they gave us here with Grogu and IG-12. It was just brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the cutest and probably most laugh-out-loud funny moments of the entire series. Um, and then, uh, you know, like you said, they, you know, then he starts going, and now that he's tall and can walk and has his hands and everything you know he's grabbing fruit and food and you know just stuff in his face and didn't having to pay for stuff and clean up his mess and everything <laughs> um but then uh you know so they eventually they go back with uh you know the camp with all the mandalorians and you know they have a big feast and um you know bo-katan is talking about their plans for retaking mandalore and uh you know, just goes through this whole plan of like, okay, well, like the planet is not cursed. Like, you know, some of you were told like it's breathable. It's not poisonous, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's still dangerous and the bombings, you know, awakened ancient creatures and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, going to be a perilous trip. Um, so she suggests, uh, you know, moving their entire fleet to orbit over Mandalore um, and then sending a scout ship down with, uh, you know, basically a scouting party to um, basically, you know, to, to go down into the city uh, and reach the, the ancient Mandalorian forge and kind of set up a perimeter there, make sure everything is safe and secure, and then, you know, bring everybody else down. And they're going to try to, again, you know, retake the planet and, uh, you know, build out from what was once their capital city. Um, and then we get just kind of this like glorious sequence of all these Mandalorian ships taking off. We see the fleet leaving Navarro and seeing them all jump into hyperspace. And you've got, uh, you know, the main Imperial cruiser. You've got um, a few of the Gozanti freighters that we saw them steal in the season two episode where Bo-Katan showed up for the first time. You got a bunch of gauntlet um I was going to call them fighters. I guess they're more like transport ships or gunships. And then you have the Fang fighters which are the smaller, you know, kind of like the smaller one-seater versions of those that are like starfighters. 
the ones that we see like um, Fen Rao and some of the other Mandalorians pilot in Rebels. So it was cool to see those for the first time, even though they weren't really featured. But it's like if you look closely, it's like, oh, yeah, you see the gauntlets. And then there's definitely some smaller fighters that are the same shape. That's what those are. So, um, man, just cool to see this whole big Mandalorian fleet mobilizing. And, uh, you know, they're they're off and away and off to retake Mandalore. So, um, you know, it was just uh, it's cool to see all of them finally come together and to have a fleet and have, you know, uh, a big force again. And, um you know, obviously we'll talk about this more. It'll be, you know, we'll see if they actually are successful in retaking Mandalore and kind of where they're at by the end of the season. But at least for this moment, it was cool to see them, um, you know, just sort of off on the quest to reclaim their home world. Yeah, it was a great entryway as they made their way into Mandalore, just visually and just tonally too. Um, it, seeing all the different Mandalorians volunteer to go with Bo-Katan and obviously didn't have to be first though. I was, I mean, it wasn't very long, but to me, it was like, okay, when's Din going to say, I'll go with you? It like took a little longer, a few more seconds than I expected. I expected him to just like, do it right away. But uh, regardless of that, uh, just seeing them make their way into Mandalore was great, man. Visually, it just looks so good. Um, obviously, it sucks seeing Mandalore destroyed like that. But from a visual standpoint, it's such a cool looking visual, especially as they landed and they just, uh, the the Mandalorians from the dropship just drop down. It's a really cool shot where they all land and like Paz Vizsla is right in front of them center. It like mm-hmm. make a great wallpaper or Twitter <laughs> profile wallpapers on your yeah. uh, home account. But um, and, but just some of their dialogue too, where Paz Vizsla is saying like it's worse than I expected, and then the other Mandalorian saying oh, I was here when it happened. Just kind of. I think that was that was Axe Wolves who said that. Okay. I, I was pretty sure it was, but it wasn't 100%. But it makes sense that it would be him. Um, obviously, they have another moment together <laughs> later on in the episode, but just kind of like slowly the Mandal- the different Mandalorian tribes making like connection uh, to become as one uh, as they're going to need to be to retake it. So that was great. And again, just visually, just seeing the man- all these different Mandalorians walk on the surface of Mandalore was a sight to behold in live action. It just looked incredible. Yeah, and I mean like you said, there were some absolutely incredible just visual shots throughout this entire episode. I mean, we talked in the beginning about some of those opening shots of Coruscant that were really cool. Um, and then on Navarro, you know, the shot of the cruiser coming overhead, but then some of these shots were like, again, just the fleet leaving Mandalore or leaving Navarro, uh, coming out of hyperspace over Mandalore and then entering the atmosphere. And it like, you know, the ship or the, the shot where the gauntlet uh, with Bogotan and everybody breaks away and heads down to the surface. And then, yeah, all the, the Mando's coming out on their jetpacks and landing down. And then um, even just some of the shots of them, like traversing the surface of Mandalore was just this probably is like the the most visually stunning episode of uh, probably of the series so far, too, which is saying something because there have been some really incredible episodes this season visually. Um but yeah, that stuff was all just fantastic. And like you said, some of those bonding moments too between them. Because um, obviously, you know, Din's whole clan was on uh, Concordia and uh, wasn't really, you know, I mean, obviously they were affected by the Imperial bombing of Mandalore as it you know, wiped out their home and their people and everything. But like, it didn't affect them as directly as some of these guys who were there and lived it and survived it. So um, you see them kind of coming to respect the other group a little bit more, be- realizing like, oh, this thing that we've heard about in our songs and tales, you know, this kind of terror from our past, like these guys were actually there for that. So, um, yeah, that was really cool, too. 
Um, and then, you know, they, they get to Mandalore, they start exploring and, uh, you know, almost right off the bat, they see a ship coming and it's this big kind of skiff thing that's like skimming over the surface. And they realize it's another group of Mandalorians that are kind of refugees. And these are guys who, uh, also survived the bombing and survived the purge and just never left. And they've just been nomads and kind of roaming around the whole time. Um, trying to survive and uh, you know they've got a lot of wounded and injured and you know sick refugees and stuff but they also have some who can still fight and so um, you know they join up with the group and they tell Bo-Katan that you know she, they can take her to the forge um, but while they're on the way there they you know there's this uh, you know another really nice scene um, where you know again they're all sitting around the table like eating on the ship and uh, you know they're talking about um kind of the history of Mandalore and how they all ended up here. And the, the leader of the refugees says that, um, you know, the, basically talks about what happened with, you know, with Moff Gideon bombing the planet and stuff. And he said they bombed us uh, because we refused to surrender, like as an example to the rest of the galaxy. And Bo-Katan says, that's not true. I did surrender to Moff Gideon and that's how I lost the Darksaber. And like, I didn't, like, I knew I couldn't trust him, but it was the only chance I had for peace and to try to save our people and then he betrayed me and wiped us all out anyways. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a very just sort of somber moment. But then, you know, Din goes and talks to her afterwards. And you can see kind of even more of a respect from him there that, like, you know, even just the stuff that the armorer told her, told him about her that, you know, oh, she's a cautionary tale. And she, you know, thought she could wield the Darksaber and thought she could unite Mandalore and she failed and everything. And, like, now kind of getting the full story of, like, what actually happened. And it's like. Uh, you know, she was willing to, um, you know, sacrifice whatever it took to try to protect her people and to, um, you know, try to save Mandalore at all costs. And, you know, now we know just like Moff Gideon stabbed her in the back and um, really, you know, kind of getting more of a sense of how despicable Moff Gideon is, too. Um, but it was just nice to, again, get more of that history fleshed out and then just see, you know, sort of continuing to build more of a bond and a mutual sort of respect between um, Din and Bo-Katan. And she even says, you know, she she kind of talks to him about how she's like, man, I'm faced with this impossible task of like uniting all these Mandalorians and all I've got to do it is the Darksaber. And he's like, yeah, that means nothing to me or to my people. <laughs> um, you know, he's like, I didn't even know what it was until you told me about it. But, uh, you know, our, our way is that, you know, we respect loyalty and character and honor and you know that's kind of what makes you a mandalorian and um you know and he's like that's what i see in you and that's why i serve you and and stuff so um you know it was a really nice touching moment between the two of them and uh like i said just great to get more of that kind of lore and uh and history and fleshing out the backstory of like her and moff gideon and stuff as well yeah all this stuff was great and in particular, as you brought up the moment between Din and Bo-Katan, which might be the best moment of the episode, <laughs> if I'm being honest, especially just when it comes to characters, character moments for Din and Bo, it was just really great. And just reaffirming just what Din Djarin as a character is all about and what he's become and from just where we first met him in the first season, just I was a bounty hunter moving on from the next job to the next. And, but as he says here, the, what's important to him is loyalty character i mean and that's he said he tells her that's the reason i'm gonna follow you lady crease just how he says that just 
you know, treating her as his queen. And he says, I will serve you for this, if I remember the dialogue, right? Just And then he just bows his head and just, like, puts his arm, his hand on his chest in, like, submission, just showing his loyalty to her, just becoming her, her shining knight in a way. So it was just great to see that for Din. And just you knowing that he truly believes that um, after everything he's been through over the course of the series so far. So that was just awesome. Just a great moment for both characters, but uh, especially for Din, um, just knowing how, how how he was when we first were introduced to him. So that was just a great moment. But then, yeah, too, just going back to both telling what happened um, with the, the Empire destroying Mandalore and just how she tried to stop it. And she did offer up surrender. And just what a big deal that had to be just to even do that for a Mandalorian to admit defeat and surrender, but knowing it was the only way to save her people. And that's what's most important to her is for the survival of her people. And yet she did it and it was all for nothing. It was still, Mandalore was still destroyed and many Mandalorians killed anyway and losing the Darksaber. So yeah, we got our answer uh, to how Gideon got it. It was just... Um, as you said, just in the most despicable way, as you could probably imagine, um, taking it as an offer of surrender, but then going back on your word and still doing what you're going to not do if you got uh, that saber or what you wanted. So it was just, again, adding to the tragic story of Bo-Katan. So I just all loved all the stuff, the conversations that they were had, had, or having at that dinner table there. And just how um, one of those uh, Mandalorians who was on there um, when he asked uh, the armorer and about it, when she said they were on Concordia as they survived and asked if they were Death Watch and then just kind of getting the answer as far as what happened with Death Watch and that she says they're no more and just the different uh, members of Death Watch splintered into their own groups. Again, more of that of splintering the different factions and being at odds with each other amongst the, amongst the Mandalorians, which as we know, led to their downfall. And, but knowing that there actually is no Death Watch anymore, uh, but yet that rem the remnants are still there because um, we knew some of them had to still be out there when we saw the flashback with the Mandalorians that rescued Din with the Death Watch symbol on their elbow pad. And we even saw some here, even when they were making the way into Mandalore before they um, dropped out of the ship. You can see one of them. Um, so obviously there's remnants of there, but now we got the full answer where the armorer said um, as a, as a whole, Death Watch isn't there, but there's still remnants of the different Mandalorians who are part of it that are still there. Um, so that was and, cool to hear. And yet, something that was interesting, and I know you have your suspicions about the armorer and where her true oh, loyalties yes. lie. <laughs> and when, I think it was maybe Casca, or maybe it was one of the, um, maybe it was just one of the refugees, uh, because she said, you know, we were on the moon of Concordia, and they said, are you Death Watch? And she just says... Death Watch is no more. Like they splintered into a, a hundred warring factions or something, but she didn't say no. So, um, I mean, for me personally, I still don't think that she's a villain just because it, it I don't know what her motivation would be and kind of how that would all play out. And especially if she is, um, one of the spies referred to in the title of this episode, um, I'm like, what would she have to gain by serving the Empire and turning against the Mandalorians? Because um, at this point, I definitely don't think that she, you know, is just trying to, you know, she's betraying everybody to try to go after Moff Gideon just so she can kill him herself or something like that. I, I think, mm. I don't think yeah. that's her aim. 
And yeah, I don't think I also <laughs> I, I don't think she's trying to set up Okatan either, or is trying to make her take the fall or take the blame for all this. Um, See, that's kind. Of, I still am leaning a little bit towards that because I mean, might as well just get into it right now. I mean, the armor. Yeah, I mean, there's still there's going to be a big reveal with her next week. There just has to be because they're just setting up so much suspicion around her still in this one. I mean. How convenient that she decides to take the wounded up <laughs> to leave the planet, go back to the fleet, and they get attacked by Gideon and his troopers. I, I, she, I don't but, think she's I, working we're, with we're, I, I know but, we're kind of jumping ahead here, too, but like the fleet's going to get attacked, and I was half expecting to lose the armorer by the end of this episode. No, yeah. well, that's again, I don't think she's working with Gideon. I just think she has some inside information somewhere where she knows what's going to happen. And because the way they kept cutting to her piloting the ship with the wounded and making the, her way to the fleet, like they didn't really have to show that. And then seeing one of the Mandalorians, who I who I got to mention too, that uh, Mandalorian on the flagship, his armor is the closest one that I've seen that resembled Jango Fett's armor <laughs> that I've mm-hmm. seen amongst all the Mandalorians in the series, which was really cool. But the way they just cut back to that, but not really showing what happens where we didn't see her board um, or anything else after that. And I, that Mandalorian for like a second had like a weird look, kind of like, what is she doing here? Or like, what's what's going on here type of thing? Just for like a second. I just think they're just showing little bits of the stuff um, to set up what's going to happen in this next episode and reveal something about her, her true motivations um, for what her plan is and what she hopes to gain from all this. Because... Um, I don't know exactly what it is yet, but she has some ulterior motive that's not going to line up, I don't think, with Din, Bo-Katan, Moff Gideon. She's just might just be having her own thing, but sees this as an opportunity to get what she wants, and we'll see what that is. But I don't know. I know I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but there's also a part of me that thinks, as uh, we know, at the very end, Gideon tells his troops to take uh, Din Djarin to... It was like a, the holding cell or interrogation room or something like that. This is the but debriefing room. Debriefing. Okay, thank you. I just have a feeling like the armor is going to show up there. <laughs> like she's going to be the one to debrief and let us be a big shock to, like, to him. And but at the same time, that goes against for how I think she's working with Gideon. But I don't know. Maybe she'll sneak her way in there and just reveal his true plan, her true plan. I don't know. But something is going to go down big with the armor. I think they're just really setting up that suspicion here with her in this episode i don't know see i think like i felt a little bit of that suspicion throughout the season but i think that's kind of natural just because she's such kind of a mysterious character and um dave and john talked about that recently in an episode or in an interview i forget what term they use to refer to her but basically you know again they're, they're just talking about how she's kind of um you know, she's mysterious. She knows a lot. She's kind of like a, um, not necessarily expository character, but just, you know, the, the type of character that other characters come to learn from and stuff. And so you can do a lot with that. And so I think just because of that, because of the mystery surrounding her and because we don't really know which way the season is heading, it's kind of easy to pin things on her and be suspicious, especially when she kind of does such a quick, I guess it's not really a quick turn, but like, obviously, you know, she's, she's distrusting of Bogotan at first, you know, everything I just said about like her telling Din that Bogotan was a cautionary tale and everything, but then is quick to welcome her into the clan and, um, 
then, you know, when Bogatan tells her that she saw a mythosaur at first, the armorer kind of dismisses it or doesn't seem to really believe her at first. And then after thinking about it some more, goes, hey, maybe Bogatan is the one to lead us and to reunite Mandalore. And yeah, you could be suspicious of that. But I think also maybe it just shows some growth on her part. Like at this point, I think she might just be being genuine. Um, and much like Bogatan, I think she wants what's best for Mandalore. And just for a long time, she thought that that was her way and sticking to these rules and everybody having to follow the traditions and keep the helmets on and stuff. And then, you know, it's like the more she comes to know and trust and respect Bogatan, and then finding out that she had this sign of seeing the mythosaur and, uh, you know, the fact that she has sort of walked both worlds and has ties to the other clans and has leadership experience and everything. She's, you know, I think it's just kind of showing um, some good growth in character development on her part to put her trust in that and say, hey, you know what, maybe I should listen to this and be open to change instead of, uh, you know, sticking to this kind of old way of thinking that everybody who doesn't adhere to the way and my way of doing things is doing it wrong. So, um, yeah, at this point, I'm kind of more inclined to trust her. Now, maybe I'll be wrong <laughs> when we get to the finale, but because also then, you know, to, to kind of keep going through the episode, we go from, from this point where we have that conversation with Din and Bo, and then she talks to the captain of the refugees, and, you know, she's like, all right, um, how, you know, if if we take your wounded to safety, like the rest of you uh, that are able to fight, you know, stay with us and, and help us find the forge and, you know, help us look for it. And he's like, I can do better than help you look for it. I can take you to it. Like, I know where it is. Um, and then we get this cool sequence where, you know, like the sun is coming up and the skiff is going over the the terrain of Mandalore and we get like the Mandalorian theme triumphantly playing and then the armorer takes off in the gauntlet uh, with all the refugees and they're taken off back up to the fleet. And you're right. It is kind of weird how throughout the episode, they keep cutting back to them as more stuff is happening on Mandalore, but like we don't really see them do anything or nothing really happens. But again, to me, that just kind of gave me a sense of foreboding of like, Oh, what's going to happen. And it wasn't so much, Oh, what is the armorer up to? Or how is she going to betray them? It was more just like I was expecting something bad to happen to those guys. I thought they were going to get up to the fleet and find that it had been ambushed by an Imperial fleet. And they hadn't, you know, been able to get a communication through or something. Because they talked about, you know, you can't scan the surface because there's still like magnetic storms or whatever. Um, so that was where I thought it was headed. Like when they broke through the clouds and you saw the fleet up there, I was fully expecting them to be like engaged in a battle with Imperial forces. Mm -hmm. um, Part of me was too, yeah, or at least see some imperial ships up there instead of the Mandalorian fleet. Yeah, and you know, I mean, nothing really happens aside from, like you said, the armorer just contacting the fleet and saying, "Hey, you know, gauntlet coming in with refugees." Um, so we'll have to wait till next episode to find out what happens there and, and kind of how everything goes down. If anything, and I guess we can talk about this now while we're on the topic of. Uh, suspicious people because this has been a big uh, topic of debate among fans. I was going to say all week. I'm like, this episode came out yesterday as we're yeah. recording this, but over the past couple days, it already feels like it's been a while. Um, people have been talking about, well, who are the episode title is the spies. And the only single character in the episode that we know is a spy is Aliyah Kane. And so people have been saying, you know, who, who else is it? I know a lot of people are still suspicious of the armor. Um, I have two theories. 
One of which is, I think it's possible that the title, The Spies, could be, it could be kind of an intentional misdirect to kind of get people pointing fingers and suspecting and stuff. And I think, you know, the, the title could just refer to the group of Mandalorians that lands on Mandalore, like that initial scouting party. And it could be referring to them as spies more as like scouts than yeah. as like double agents. Um, so I think that's definitely one possibility because I, I feel like that's the one that's like, well, at face value, that makes the most sense because it is kind of weird to have an episode titled the spies and then like not have uh, uh, like an explicit moment in the episode where somebody is revealed to be a spy or something like that. So I'm like, maybe we're all overthinking it. And it's just talking about these guys that are like spying out the surface of Mandalore. Um, Man, I thought for sure it was going to be, it was the armor was going to be revealed to be either the traitor or the woman with the secret agenda or the spies because her uh, picture was on the thumbnail for this episode front and center. And then when I saw the title card, the spies, I'm like, okay, this is where it's going to be. This is where we're going to get the reveal. Of the armor's true intentions, and again, that didn't happen. But yeah, <laughs> that's maybe for sure. I thought where it was going, but they're doing some good misdirection just with the thumbnails. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's their whole goal for the season is just to try to get you to mistrust the armor. Um, but I also think, like, I'm like, if there's anybody that I'm untrustworthy of right now, I think it could be the refugees. Um, yeah, not necessarily because they're bad or anything, but just you know, they talk about how. Um, the, you know, they've been on Mandalore since the purge and since the bombings and everything. And they've been, you know, just kind of trying to scratch and scrounge for their existence and try to get by. Um, and then of course we find out and we'll get to this, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, but like Moff Gideon is operating on Mandalore and has a sizable base of operations and military force and everything. And so, I could very well see a situation where he has some leverage over these guys and maybe it's just like, Hey, you're the last remnants of the Mandalorians here on Mandalore. And I could very easily wipe you out, but I'll let you keep roaming around the surface and living your life and doing your thing. As long as you stay out of my business. But also if any Mandalorians come and try to retake the planet, you got to let them know and bring them to me. Otherwise, like I will find out anyway, and I will know that you help them and I will wipe you all out. Um, and so I think that because as they're going along on the skiff, you know, they, they're heading to the forge, um, they get attacked by a giant monster that comes up from under the surface, which I half expected, like, I kind of expected to be the mythosaur at first. Yeah, me too. I was and hoping when it, it wasn't too. I was like, this isn't the way for the mythosaur to come out. <laughs> yeah. Like a big grand entrance. But then once it didn't, I was like, oh, are we going to get the mythosaur come out to fight this thing and protect the Mandalorians? And is this just going to turn into a big kaiju battle? But um, we still have not seen the mythosaur yet. Um, oh, but I this thing comes coming. up, attacks them, <laughs> basically drives them underground. They get to the forge and then they get ambushed by the empire. And it's like, well, how did the empire know that they were coming right to the forge? So like, I get, it would make sense that, um, you know, that someone among their ranks might be a spy. And like I said, I think for me, at least the one that just the, the idea that makes the most sense is that Moff Gideon's got some leverage over those guys that were already on Mandalore, you know, given the fact that he also was on Mandalore as well. So that's kind of my theory for right now. Um, if there is anybody to blame or be suspicious of, because also these are the guys that we know the least about at this point. So, mm. um, 
yeah, that's kind of where my head is at. But also, I'm not entirely sure that, uh, you know, that they are to blame. And again, it's like, did did the Empire know where to ambush them because they were getting intel from spies? Or was it because they heard the commotion of the giant monster attacking them on the surface and were like, oh, now we know which direction they're headed or something like that. So, um yeah, still a lot of unknowns. I wouldn't be surprised if in the finale we get the reveal that somebody is a spy or somebody has betrayed the Mandalorians. But um, yeah, I guess we'll just uh, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think that's totally plausible. and it, it would make a lot of sense if that was the case. I mean, Damon says they're doing what they can to survive on the planet. If that's part of the way they're thinking of that is working with Moff Gideon just to survive and kind of do what he has to say because of that. I it would make sense for them to do, to do that, just trying to survive on the planet um, in those conditions. So we'll see. And again, maybe maybe that is the armorer's connection to the man to what's going on and on Mandalore and how she knows about certain things. It's because of those uh, refugee Mandalorians that were there. So uh, there's still I think could be a connection there. Um, and she, she maybe had a private conversation with them and what's their plan is what's going to go down and why she agreed to take the wounded off of there. So I think they, they could even be a cahoots in some way. So something, um, yeah, the title of the spies is definitely, at least right now, I, I know what you mean, how it could refer to just the group of Mandalorians returning to Mandalore, scoping out the planet, making sure it's safe for them uh, to retake. But that doesn't necessarily count as like some of you associate with spies, um not necessarily because what they're mainly doing is obviously recon so i think there's just more to it than that where it is referring to some specific characters and probably something we'll find out in in the finale well if we don't we might not never know <laughs> what it refers to but um yeah i just think it's going to be something that has it's, it is referring to some specific characters and it was a title for one that just really I don't know if you could say this about any other episode, but a title that you can't really say um, reflected the events on what happened, or at least giving you a straight answer to what is the title was referring to um, in this instant, because obviously we're still talking about it and there's been some discussion and debate, as you said, online amongst fans, as far as what that title is actually referring to. So if nothing else, it has <laughs> been fun as it added more to the speculation as for what's going to go down in the next episode, if nothing else. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, they get, you know, they're, they're crossing the surface. They get attacked by the monster. They go underground. Um, they get ambushed by uh, stormtroopers with jetpacks who we quickly realize are wearing Mandalorian armor. Um, and these, of course, are the same stormtroopers that, uh, you know, were flanking Moff Gideon at the beginning of the episode. Um, first of all, I got to say, these stormtroopers, A, look really cool. Um, oh yes, and I think I mean I'd have to go back and kind of study the the design more closely, but at first glance, definitely already starts to seem to be leaning a little bit towards first order stormtroopers. I don't know if you got mm. that vibe, but like you know, looks like we're starting to get a little bit of in between. Um, See, I got more clone trooper vibes, at least from their helmets. How it is more the T visor look. Yeah, see, that's why I'm like. That's why I'm thinking I'd have to go back and, and look at it again. Maybe that's what I was thinking of, but I was like, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just the shape of the, the eye holes or something. Um, 
and these, you know, they definitely were not straight up like first order stormtroopers, but um, yeah, just had uh, whatever. It, like they had a really cool design, regardless. Yes. Um, and this was, you know, a, a really cool scene showing, you know, them and the Mandalorians blasting away at each other, and uh, you know, some great action from like uh, Din and Casca and Bo-Katan, and um, there's a, you know, they find a, a crack in the ceiling. And Paz Vizsla lays down cover fire for um, Axe to, you know, jet away on his jetpack and get through. Oh, speaking of Paz and Axe, though, I forgot to talk about the scene where, you know, they end up fighting on the ship over like a chess game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Din and bo are watching along with everybody else. And Din's like, shouldn't we step in to stop them? And bo like, you know, neither side can step in. Like, this was bound to happen eventually and kind of resigns to be just like, we just got to let them fight it out and resolve it themselves. Um, but then, of course, the one who steps in to make <laughs> peace and to stop them is Grogu. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, in the IG-12 suit, of course, holding them apart and pressing the no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, then there's just this sweet moment where... Um, Bogatan tells Din, she said, you know, you trained him well. And he goes, hey, he didn't learn that from me. Um, clearly showing that, uh, you know, the brief time that we saw Grogu training with Luke did make an impact on him. Which um, is the and second then, time that's been kind of mentioned or referred to where part yeah. of Grogu's characteristics and Bogatan commented on that. And Din says, that's not me. I'm going yeah. to the fourth episode of the season. So I don't know if there's anything to that, but regardless, I just love that they're still making those references to his training with Luke. It was just awesome. They don't say it, but when Din says it's not me, you know exactly who he's talking about. It just brings a smile to my face. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And then he, you know, he nods at Grogu and Grogu nods back. And, you know, it's this sweet little moment, but seeing that, um, you know, that Din um, kind of recognizes that growth in him and that even though he's still a child, I mean, of course, Grogu always is in this weird place where like he's a baby, but he's also 50 years old. Um, but seeing that he has enough character growth and development to like make these choices, um, especially these choices that nobody else is making. And it's a very childlike thing to do where, um, you know, other people would be sort of analyzing like, oh, what's the motivation here? What's the outcome going to be? And the kid would just jump in and be like, stop fighting. We shouldn't be fighting. Um, but it's also a very Jedi thing to do to step in and be a peacekeeper. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was a really cool moment. Yeah. Just another great use of the IG 12 suit. I mean, it was good for comedy and humor and now it's great for a great character moment for, for Grogu here. So it's just, Again, such a brilliant move to put Grogu in IG-12. It's just, oh, I love it so much. It just works on so many levels. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, like I said, seeing that animosity too between uh, Paz and Axe. Um, and of course, you know, Paz has had some great moments. We know he's a, a great fighter and, you know, an honorable Mandalorian at the end of the day. But also he always be picking fights with people. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it was nice to see... Um, then in this in this battle scene um, to have, you know, I think Axe was the one that pointed out, you know, hey, there's a crack in the ceiling. We can try to get through and uh, signal for reinforcements. And Paz immediately goes, I'll lay down cover fire. You go. And it's like, even if he might want to pick a fight with you, even though, you know, you might have your disagreements with him at the end of the day in the heat of battle, that dude's got your back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we saw the same thing with Din in season one in that episode, The Sin where um 
you know, Paz was getting on him about, uh, you know, oh, he's got all this best card, but like it was casting an imperial smelter and he's working for the enemy and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the end of the episode, when Din is pinned down by bounty hunters and the Mandalorians come to rescue him, Paz is front and center leading that charge. So, um, yeah, it was a really, and that was a little subtle moment where he's just like, oh, I'll lay down cover fire. But it was like the fact that he was doing it for Axe specifically, like, mm-hmm. didn't, you know, that was not lost on me. That was a, a great moment between the two of them right there. Yeah, man, talk about just a great action sequence all the way around. I mean, first, I got to talk about those troopers just a little bit more <laughs> because they're awesome. Their designs are awesome. It is really cool. And when we saw them in the beginning with uh, Moff Gideon making his way to the Shadow Council, and we just see them kind of guarding the entryway. Um, I just thought to myself, oh boy, I hope we see them in action soon. <laughs> and thankfully, it was in this episode. Because um, at first, I thought they were going to make reference to them being the Imperial Super Commandos that we saw in Rebels, which were the Mandalorians who. Uh, were a league and worked with the Empire, and it's kind of more of an evolution to them. And they did have a feel. I think they're not so much their helmets, but at least their armor and their suits reminded me a little bit of how those Super Commandos look. I haven't seen those episodes in a while, so maybe I might be off base here, but seeing it for the first time, it just reminded me of them and thought it could be an evolution of those troopers, and maybe they were going to be even referred to as the Imperial Super Commandos, either by Gideon or even the Mandalorians who might know that part of their history uh, or would refer to them or maybe recognize them as the super commandos. But uh, regardless, their suits just looked awesome. Again, I think their helmets do have more of a clone trooper vibe uh, to them with the, the t- more the T visor cross between the stormtrooper and Mandalorian look, which was kind of the, the design for the phase one clone trooper uh, helmets. But I just loved how it looked. And you know how I always said before we got to see Jamandalore arc and clone wars how one of my dream star wars visuals would be to see clone troopers battling mandalorians uh, and how awesome that would be and we finally got that in the siege of mandalore and this was not quite like that because obviously there are no clone troopers but visually just seeing troopers fighting against mandalorians um in live action was fantastic and obviously we've seen Din and Boba Fett just mow down stormtroopers. I don't really count that as being a Mandalorian versus trooper battles, but we had a good amount of Mandalorians and a good amount of troopers just uh, battling out with each other with just some great uh, blaster fire action and just really cool. Some of the cool moves that we got to see the Mandalorians and even some of those troopers do against each other. Uh, It was just a sight to behold. I was just uh, geeking out so much knowing how much I love trooper designs and just characters in star wars with cool looking helmets and when you get a bunch of them on screen like that it's like uh i'm in heaven right there <laughs> so i was glad it was a cool action sequence that we got uh for the ending that just kind of the stakes just getting kept getting escalated and escalated as we're going to get to in the final moments of this episode but that battle that we saw them having at the forge was just really really cool it was just like this is one of those moments where it felt like um, we were watching a finale episode. It just felt that big, and we're getting that cool big action here in the penultimate episode. So this makes me excited <laughs> for what's in store in the actual finale next week. But it was just a cool action to get with Mandalorians and Troopers in live action. It was just a sight to behold. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you mentioned just how cool it is seeing a big battle between Mandalorians and, and Stormtroopers, but also like Stormtroopers wearing Beskar armor. So it was a fair fight because, yeah. you know, 
if it was that army of Mandalorians against, you know, it could be five times that many regular stormtroopers and they would have taken him out easily. But the fact yeah, that Paz Vizsla could have learning... took them all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paz Vizsla took all these guys out. Yeah. Um, I, it was just a cool touch scene, even with Paz Vizsla's uh, gigantic blaster rifle, how even when he was hitting them, their Beskar armor still protected them and how they weren't going down right away just with one hit. I just love that little touch that they were doing, just showing that, yeah. These aren't your typical stormtroopers, and they got that Beskar armor is definitely working. Yeah, but it was also cool to see like I, a lot of them still definitely went down, like both troopers and yeah. Mandalorians. Yep. Because at first, mm-hmm. at first glance, you're like, okay, we got two sides wearing Beskar and using blasters. Like, are they is is are they just is a first side to run out of ammo first? You know, <laughs> um, but they were definitely either getting shots in under the armor or. Um, you know, I mean, maybe Beskar can only take so many hits or you hit him with a powerful enough rifle. I mean, Paz definitely shot a few guys out of the air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also there was a moment, I think it was Koska um, was like, you know, fighting a couple of troopers hand to hand. And like she knocked one of them down and then turned to fight another one. And then the first one got back up and she like shot him under the helmet. Like it's a real quick moment, but uh, it definitely looked like she shot, you know, she shot somebody like in the neck or like up under the helmet or something. Yeah, um, making good use of their knives too <laughs> to take out yeah. the troopers. Also, just, again, just great action. Not even just more for like a gunfight, but just even the hand-to-hand combat stuff is just really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad we get Costco back this season too, because I think for whatever reason, I remember um, seeing uh, like an interview or a quote or something from um, you know Sasha Banks who plays her, and she said. And this was way back. This is probably like a year ago, but I thought I saw a quote of her saying that she wasn't in season three or hadn't been asked about it or something like that. And of course, at this point, I'm now like, oh, it probably was just, you know, her lying because she couldn't talk about it or couldn't confirm it or whatever. Um, But I was kind of pleasantly surprised when she showed up again in the last episode. But now in this one, especially because Axe leaves that battle pretty early to go and get reinforcements, like she gets a lot of cool action moments in here. So um you know cool to see all those guys back in action and then of course you know they take out a bunch of the troopers and then they start retreating and uh you know the man or, or i think it's bogatan who's like you know all right follow him like you know don't let him get away and din's leading the charge and you know they're they're all these mandalorians start you know running deeper into the caves and stuff and through these caverns chasing after these uh stormtroopers and um you start realizing because also at the beginning of the episode when we saw moff gideon in his underground base in this cavern it's like okay where is he like it was cool but it was also like i was kind of hoping we were going to get a bit more of like seeing how he escaped from the new republic custody kind of what his next move was so the fact that he already was like in this imperial installation clearly like having a military presence and you know was was kind of back at the top of his game i was like oh i wasn't expecting to see this so soon and also we had no idea where he was he's just in this like (laughs) underground bunker but as you see the mandalorians running through these hallways it's like oh wait this looks familiar this is where moff gideon was at the start of the episode and you're starting to realize like oh this is not gonna turn out well like they're leading them into a trap um and sure enough, that's exactly what happens. It, it, it was kind of weird that nobody stopped to notice, like, because, you know, it's these, these like, rock tunnels or whatever, but there's definitely, like, some metal 
uh, architecture like built into the hallways that definitely looks imperial like just the the gray metal of it all the structure of it the, the you know those oval sort of imperial panel lights that go on the walls of like star destroyers and the death star and stuff like it's immediately recognizable and so i'm surprised that like Bo or din didn't stop to be like wait a sec are we running into an imperial base right now um but instead they keep chasing the troopers until they emerge onto this like landing platform that is overlooking this giant chasm. And on the other side of the chasm and sort of all around them are built like hangar bays and structures. And they really, there's like this huge Imperial operation going on. And they're like, what is this? Like, where did all this come from? What did we just walk into? And then, um, you know, this big bay door shuts separating Din and a handful of Mandalorians from everybody else that are stuck behind them. All the stormtroopers come, you know, flying back down and they start taking everybody out. They kill everybody except for Din. And Din, um, you know, goes down fighting. He's blasting people. He's got his flamethrower. He's, you know, oh, taking so out cool. as many as he can. But <laughs> they they uh, get him all tied up with, uh, you know, zip cords or whatever you want to call them um you know cables they've got him tied around you know the arms and the legs and the, these troopers do this cool move where like there's two troopers on either side of him and they've both got his hands tied and then they use their jetpacks and like fly across to like tie his arms um or have his arms crossed so that he can't keep you know blasting and flame throwing and stuff and so they've got din subdued and tied down and then the epic villain entrance <laughs> of all star wars epic villain entrances here comes moff gideon flying down onto the platform in his own suit of beskar armor with the cape with the mandalorian helmet with the just just oh my gosh moff gideon with the drip um <laughs> i'm like i i understand how you feel looking at crosshair now like <laughs> Uh, just, you know the joy I have. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, and I've always liked Moff Gideon. I mean, I, part of it is just because I, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on here. I've always wanted to cosplay as Moff Gideon because I thought that would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, just one of the few Star Wars characters that I feel like I could kind of pull off the look of, and that the costume wouldn't be too hard to do. Of course, unfortunately, they just made it a lot harder to pull off a Moff Gideon costume because right. now I have to go full on Mando suit with the helmet and everything, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. But I, yeah, might it's like now, if you it. are going to cosplay as Moff Gideon, you have to do his coolest outfit. <laughs> oh, but that's <laughs> going to be so out. much. That's going to require so much more work. I might still do like a season one and two Moff Gideon cosplay, especially because then I can have the dark saber with it. Um, and then maybe at some point I'll try to upgrade to this new suit, but just, oh my gosh, dude. And like, and the way that his theme comes in with it too, he's yes. got such a cool I menacing, like <laughs> musical theme. And just when the theme starts playing and he's just, just oh, descending on the jetpack with the cape and the, oh, it was just, it was glorious. Um, Moff Gideon, like in, in that one shot moved up several places on my list of favorite star wars villains um <laughs> just incredible and he comes up and you know of course he's gloating over din and talking about his grand plan and everything and how he's gonna finally wipe out the mandalorians once and for all um and he's like you know you were a talented people once but it, you know it's time for like your time has come to an end but uh you know, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. And, you know, he also talks about, he says he's perfected the dark trooper suit. 
and that you know this is like the fourth generation design or whatever made entirely of beskar he says the the ultimate improvement is that it has me in it like he's so full of himself and so <laughs> sort of over the top and like grandiose and everything but like it works because he's also intimidating and like he mm -hmm. backs up his talk and like he's a you know he's not just like this cartoony villain that makes monologues and speeches and then the heroes beat him all the time like he's a legitimate threat and he makes these boasts and everything and these claims and you know thinks he's all that and then he proves that he is all that and that you know he is a, a force to be reckoned with so um but it was crazy because then he talks about how uh he's like you know every culture has something of value to offer and he says like he mentions the cloners the jedi and the mandalorians and um and he says that like I've taken the best of all of those to create an army that will bring <clears throat> order to the galaxy. And the fact, I don't know if, if this is me reading too much into this or if this is the same conclusion you came to, but the fact that he, he mentions all of those things in conjunction with the fact that he says the ultimate upgrade to the dark trooper suit is having me in it. I'm like, is Moff Gideon's plan to try to make force sensitive clones of himself and give them all Beskar armor, and that's going to be his army? Because, like, that certainly is what it sounded like to me. And that's absolutely bananas, but also, like, he's the type of guy that would think, yeah, this is a good idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, boy, what a moment here. I mean, at first, this one, we got the reveal that Mandalore is now a spot where it's an Imperial it almost an imperial base now and moff gideon has made it to where it can hold tie fighters troopers all that just what a shock that was i was like oh man like i was shocked not to see that almost as much as the mandalorians were but then when moff gideon made his entrance in his armor i was like oh man you gotta be kidding me in like the best way possible just how awesome this is for him and just his plan and just as a villain as you said he's he's already become like one of the great star wars villains um just the way he, as you said, he backs up his threats, the way he's does menacing. But then now that we finally got his true intentions and his goals for what he wants, I mean, all that was just great stuff. Knowing why he wanted Grogu um, in the first place. And I, for a lot of the time, I was thinking, and I'm sure many others were, where it was all just to kind of further the Emperor's plan, like his contingency plans to set this all in place um, for his eventual return. But the fact that Gideon is pretty much doing this all for himself was something that um, was quite the reveal, but yet it just worked so well. And as you said, it, it makes perfect sense for he is that type of character, that type of villain who would do that. Someone who is as full, so full of himself and just overconfident and think he is the best <laughs> of what uh, you could be. And so originally, I didn't necessarily take it as he's going to clone himself and it's going to be an army of him, like four sensitive beings of him in Beskar armor. I just, I took it at first that he's just going to make clones of troops, like clone troopers again um, with Beskar armor and hopefully they're force sensitive. But now that you're mentioning it, <laughs> I think it actually probably makes more sense that his intention is to clone himself because he obviously probably views himself as the best or better than any just normal trooper would be. And, but, 
with some force abilities and best car armor, he'd probably think it'd be an unstoppable force. Um, so just the fact that we we finally learned what his end game is here and why he was after like Rogu those first two seasons, it was all for himself. And he, and as he was saying to the other members of that Shadow Council, I mean, he just fully believes that he is the one that can bring order into the galaxy. But as we'll find out, <laughs> either uh, whether it's Thrawn or whether it's Snoke later on, uh, he's obviously going to be in for a rude awakening for him that not being the case. And I'm just, man, really curious as far as what his eventual downfall is going to be. Is it going to be with the Mandalorians? I mean, I hope it is, whether it's Bo-Katan or Din Djarin, um, just after everything that he's done to them as a people, taking away their home and just causing so much pain. It's it'd be poetic justice for a Mandalorian to bring about the end of Moff Gideon. But at the same time, he could just be someone who maybe is successful in what his intentions were as far as when it comes to the Mandalorians. I'm sure we'll get this more talk about this as we end our episode and kind of look at some of our predictions for the finale. But he could have victory against them and ultimate victory. And it's not the Mandalorians who are then to take him down. It's just another faction of the empire like Thrawn or maybe Snoke later down the line, um, because he just seems to be that <laughs> he's just that good when it comes to being a villain. So maybe he will actually have victory over them. We shall see, but man, what I talked about in the beginning, how it was just great to see Moff Gideon make it have a great entrance and reintroduction in this episode at the start, but boy, what a great way to end his return <laughs> in this uh, episode with his armor. And one thing we didn't really mention too much when he talked about how cool his armor was is how it was sporting those uh, Mandalorian helmets with the mall horns on there too. And just makes me think, what's his reasoning for having that design of the helmet? Uh, is there going to be, I, I just hope there is more connection to them recognizing that design of helmets being in recognition of mall, whether it's for him or the armorer and uh, man see my mind keeps going back and forth because I, I said earlier how i don't really think the armor is going to be uh, working with gideon at all but sometimes when i think how he has his helmet being with the horns like maul has and like she has what if they're just both of them are kind of basing it off their loyalty well not loyalty because he's not a mandalorian but just in some recognition of maul's leadership as leader of the mandalorians i just think there might be some connection there so we'll see if that's something we get later on but it just even if it doesn't and there is no connection to maul it just looks really cool <laughs> that is how it is just black with the red trims on there on the visor with the horns sticking out it's just a really cool looking visual for his mandalorian suit so yeah just everything about this moment was awesome from his entrance to the look of his costume um how he revealed his plans and just how he's just gloating over the mandalorians it was just perfect again just making him really shine as one of the best villains we've seen in star wars it was just fantastic yeah definitely see i'm looking at the helmet again and um see i and i've heard other people mention too this connection to maul and it looking like he's got the maul horns but like I'm not entirely sold on that that's what it's supposed to be because on his, it almost looks more like a crown. Like it's only like three points. Hmm. Um, and it's not quite like, it's definitely not as many, as many spikes as Maul had um, or even as many as we saw on like Gar Saxon or some of the other, um, you know, Maul, like Maul's Mandalorians. Um, 
like it could be a connection, but also I'm like, why would Moff Gideon kind of be referencing that? Aside from yeah. the fact that you know Maul was an outsider who came and became a conqueror on Mandalore, but it's like maybe that's how he sees himself too. Yeah, like the next yeah. one to do that. But like he doesn't necessarily have any loyalty to Maul, or is not really trying to follow that way or anything. Um, but it does look like, I mean, this look like just looking at it again, it looks like the type of helmet that like a king would wear in battle, where it kind of has like the spikes raising up, where like it kind of mm. looks like a crown, but it's also a battle helmet. Like, um, see, I like that. The, that that fits his character totally. That he would put a crown on his Mandalorian helmet. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you took a Mandalorian suit and like a king in chess and like put the two together or something. Um, that was kind of more the vibe I got from it. Now, you mentioned also the armor and her having the spikes on the helmet and like we haven't really addressed that. Um, and maybe that is an obvious connection there that I'm just overlooking, but it's just I don't see what the connective tissue would be, but maybe they're going to blow me away with something in the mm -hmm. finale and go like, Oh, you know, yeah, she and Gideon have been together the whole time. Um, one of the fan theories that I've heard, and I forget if we've talked about this on the show before, but there's some people that speculate that the armorer could be Rook Cast, yeah, who was um, the other kind of female lieutenant that was there with Maul's Death Watch along with Gar Saxon. Um, she's the one we see her in, in the final season of Clone Wars, and she's got like short purple hair and stuff. And we go on to see Gar Saxon in Rebels, but we've never really seen Rook Cast again, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, she could be the armor, but also, I don't know. To me, the armor just seems so I want to say ancient, not in the sense that she's old, but I don't see her as being like, oh, yeah, I was with Death Watch and then like I switched, you know, and, and tried something else, and I've only been doing this, you know, this other thing for, you know, I guess it has been like 30 years since the Clone Wars at this point. Um, but okay. she just, uh, to me, she just feels like the type of character that, like, this, like, she's always been this. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, people change, and maybe she was part of Death Watch. Um, and, but also, that doesn't necessarily make her a villain or make her, you know, untrustworthy. Like, you know, I, I hope that we'll find out more about her before the end either way. Um, but also, oh, and, you know, so speaking of the armor and uh, her taking those refugees back to the fleet, you know, as part of Moff Gideon's gloating and talking about, you know, wiping out Mandalore and the purge being complete and everything, he says, hey, let's take your fleet off the board while we've got the element of surprise. And, uh, you know, he activates a whole squadron of TIE interceptors and bombers and they fly off to go and attack the Mandalorian fleet. Um and, you know, again, we don't see how that plays out. So it's like we're going to start the next episode, start the finale with the knowledge that there's a Mandalorian fleet out there that's in danger with, a, you know, an Imperial strike force coming after him. Um, and the armor with a ship full of refugees still trying to get to that fleet. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, and we had seen him, too, with the Shadow Council at the beginning. He requested, you know, he's like, I want to wipe out the Mandalorians. And... Um, you know, he's like, I'm requesting reinforcements for my TIE Interceptor and TIE Bomber squadrons and uh, a, a reinforcement of Praetorian Guards, <laughs> which without there was another mention just at the beginning that it was like, oh, shoot, like, obviously, yep. we're building towards the First Order and some stuff in the sequel trilogy, but like Praetorian Guards are already around. OK, um, 
And so, uh, yeah, that was a cool reference, but also something where you're like, oh, we know that's going to pay off eventually, too. And uh, it sure does by the end of this episode. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, Moff Gideon tells him to take Din away uh, off to, you know, the debriefing room. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's standing there, you know, on the other side of this blast door talking to bo and says, you know, why don't you just do the right thing? Surrender, give the Darksaber back to its rightful owner, and, you know, I'll spare all your people if you all, you know, surrender to me. And um, she and Paz just kind of give each other a nod, and I think he even says in this moment, like, this is the way. And all the Mandalorians just open fire on the door trying to blast their way through and Bo-Katan runs behind them back to the door they came through on their way in and starts cutting through it with the dark saber to, to get people out to safety. And, um, you know, so Moff Gideon opens the blast door, tells all the stormtroopers, you know, kill the Mandalorians. And then he of course flies away, you know, general grievous style. He's not going to be caught in the <laughs> middle of this crossfire. He's not going to get his hands dirty. Um, but, uh, you know, so the, the gunfight ensues again. And as soon as Paz says, all right, every, you know, Bogatan starts cutting the hole. She's like, all right, everybody get through. And Paz goes, you know, you guys go, I'll cover the rear. And I was like, oh, he's not making it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things where like, oh, man, this sucks. And yet, like, it, you know, it makes sense if somebody's got to make a heroic sacrifice, like, he would be the one to make that stand, especially just, you know, him being as huge as he is and having the huge blaster, like, if anybody's going to stand a chance to, you know, fight till the end, it's going to be him. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it sucks because, like, you know, he went from, remember in, in season one when, like, his action figure came out, which I just got recently, and it was just heavy, heavy infantry Mandalorian. We didn't even know who this guy was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, you know, getting more of the story of this character of Paz Vizsla, it's like we've become attached to him over the season. And it was like, oh, crap, we're going to have to watch him go out now. Um but sure enough, you know, Bogatan cuts through the door, gets everybody to safety, passes the last one. She's like, all right, come on, let's go. And, you know, of course, there's waves of stormtroopers coming and he's gunning down as many as he can. And uh, he goes, no, there's too many. And he slams the button and closes the blast door, cutting off, you know, himself from Bogatan. And he just looks at her and says, this is the way. And charges into battle again, just, you know, you're prepared for him to, to, go out in a blaze of glory uh, you know taking as many of these troopers out with him as you can um and then surprisingly he takes them all out and you know kills all the stormtroopers his gun overheats at one point and he just you know uses that to bash a trooper over the head and he's you know fighting guys hand to hand throwing them off the edge of the landing platform and uh you know he's of course taking blaster bolts and stuff but you know still standing and um at the end of it, you know, he's, he's tired, wounded, smoke coming off his armor, no weapon left, but, uh, you know, he survived and he's killed all the troopers and then come the Praetorian guards and man, what an entrance for these guys. My one, my, my one small gripe is that the first shot where they start walking in, it goes into, it's like just a little bit like slow motion. And anytime they try to do it, I'm like, we don't do slow motion star wars like it just looks weird because it's, it's just not a star wars thing um but still i mean first of all just in terms of visuals and looking cool like these guys put the the praetorian guards in snoke's throne room to shame 
Um, the some way of they, them, yes. <laughs> just the, I do like I some mean, of the ones in Snoke's room. Oh, I like I like all the ones in Snoke's room. Although there's you know the one with like the funny looking hat and stuff. But like, yeah, that's the one. Um, <laughs> Where it's like all of them look better than that. Yeah, but like I mean, those guys still look pretty cool. But also just like with the purple energy crackling from the weapons and the cool like Roman style helmets. Um, and, uh, you know, Paz activates his energy shield and his vibro knife. And you can kind of tell he's like, oh, I'm not making it out of this one. But he still, you know, charges in, tries to take them all out. And they just make short work of him, unfortunately, um, you know, stabbing him with their energy weapons. And we see it's kind of hard to tell if they actually like pierce through Beskar, but it kind of looks like they do. At least the one that stabs him like in the torso. Um, yeah, I thought like. Did. Like one stabs him in the torso, one like slices him in the back of the legs, and then one like stabs him through the shoulder. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know, he just falls to his knees and and then collapses dead, and they all walk off, and that's where the episode ends. Um, so it kind of ends on a cliffhanger because you know, Bogatan and the rest of the Mandalorians made it out, but they're still there in the base. Din obviously has been taken for interrogation. Um, you still got the Imperial fleet going after the Mandalorian fleet. We don't know what's going to happen there. So, um, yeah, ends on, on kind of a bummer note, um, with, with Paz going out, like I said, you know, a guy who went from a side character with cool armor to a character that we really cared about this season and had seen a lot of progression from. So, um, yeah, sad to see him go out like that. But also, I mean, he made an epic last stand. And for him to say, you know, this is the way. And then just blasting <laughs> away at everybody with that minigun. Like, there's no better way to go out. Um, so, yeah, that was just a, an, an epic final moment for him. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those endings where it's like, man, it is hard to have to wait a week to see how this all plays out. Yeah, man, it was just man, what a beautiful action, cool send off for Paz Vizsla that we got in here. And yeah, like you kind of knew it was coming when he was the last one not to leave and join with the other Mandalorians. And when he closed the door, I was like, oh, yeah, we know what's coming. But it was cool to see him initially at least have victory against what he thought was his only obstacle with those stormtroopers being his only threat there. So uh, once he took him out, I was like, oh, cool. Because, um, yeah, obviously, I like the reference we got of the, Petor of the Praetorian Guards in the beginning. But I kind of forgot about it as the episode moved along. And as we're seeing this cool action play out over the last few minutes of this finale. Or I should say this final sequence of the episode. So when they came out and made their entrance, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> this, I, I know I heard him. But now that we're actually seeing him, this is awesome. But yet. This is, I know this is where Paz is going to go out. He's not getting out of this one. So it's kind of like that. This is an awesome but bummer moment <laughs> that we're going to see play out here because seeing the Praetorian guards in live action again, or just in any form, really, because we first saw them in live action in The Last Jedi, but just seeing them again uh, was just really cool. And as you said, they make short work of Paz Vizsla, unfortunately, and knowing how obviously. They're elite guards. They can hold their own. Um, but it just, again, just adds to that cool feeling of how cool that throne room sequence was with Ray and Kylo being able to take out the Praetorian guards and just showing them the level of what a Jedi can be and go up against those Praetorian guards, um, even though they may seem invincible to kind of those who aren't force sensitive. And 
Uh, even though the Mandalorians are a warrior race, they could probably hold their own for a little bit. And like I said, Paz was kind of just worn out, just tired from what he just went through. He had no weapon. So it wasn't necessarily a fair fight and could give it all in his all. But um, yeah, it was just cool just kind of seeing the difference in seeing the Praetorian Guards in action where they're just really dominant and just elite warriors when they're not going up against Jedi, but then seeing how Jedi's can or Force users can take them out. Um, in some, in some regards, pretty quickly, as Kylo and Rey did dispense some of them pretty easily. So uh, it was just great seeing them in action again. Um, but yes, yeah, sucks to see Paz go out uh, that way. But again, it was a great way to go out, but <laughs> sad to see him to see him leave as well. Especially kind of what we learned about him in this season too, knowing that uh, he has a son and just um, how that's going to play in the future, I wonder, where whoever... If whoever makes it out of this alive and they go back to um, the foundlings and just has to give his son the news that his father sacrificed himself, what impact that's going to have? Is his son going to be a character that we see more of moving forward? So um, it should be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, just knowing um, how much Paz and Din became or respected each other um, once Din and Bo-Katan saved his son. And so you knew he this this was what he had to do as he said this kind of really embodying what the phrase this is the way implies here um sacrificing yourself for your family in this regard your felt in this regard all those mandalorians um so yeah it was just a great send-off for the character and just man it like you said the, what a way to end it with that final shot of just fading to black where we just see his body laying on the floor there and just going oh man this is going to be the longest week ever <laughs> but Man, just what a great ending to this episode. It's it's an all-timer, if you ask me, just from the action we got with the new uh, troopers against the Mandalorians and just how cool that was. The entrance of Moff Gideon and getting the reveal of what his true intentions are and just how it is kind of putting the pieces together for all the stuff that we've got over these three seasons and just everything kind of culminating into this moment right here. And obviously more so in the finale, but just knowing that this was... A lot of the stuff we've seen from season one, two, and the episodes in season three, all building to this moment right here, which is such a great payoff. And then uh, you cap you cap it off with this uh, great final stand with Paz Vizsla. So yeah, this I just absolutely loved everything about uh, this final act of the spies. It was just really, really good on so many different levels. Yeah, and like I said, we're now two for three in um, episode sevens of a season where the heroes have a plan, plan seems to be going well, Moff Gideon shows up, plan goes off the rails, and we end up with somebody captured and we lose a fan favorite character. So, um, yeah, I I will say, though, if I was Moff Gideon, I would have requested uh, more Death Troopers, though, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe we'll see them. Yeah, we don't need flying death troopers. Oh, um, man. <laughs> How cool would that look? I mean, I don't know. That would be pretty cool, but also they're so like tall and lanky. Um, might look kind of awkward. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be cool to see them again, but also, yeah, now that he's got Beskar armored flying stormtroopers and Praetorian guards, like, does he even need death troopers anymore? I don't know. Um... <laughs> But yeah, this was just, I mean, what a way to end it. What a way to leave you wanting more until the finale. And I can't wait to see how everything wraps up next week. Um, and it'll be interesting to see too, like 
you kind of talked about this earlier with Moff Gideon. Like, what is his ultimate fate going to be? Like, are they are they going to take him out in the next episode? Are they going to, you know, is he going to survive? But eventually he'll be taken out by Mandalorians. Will he eventually be victorious over the Mandalorians? But then, you know, gets taken out by Thrawn for being too ambitious or disobeying orders or whatever. Um, or taken out by somebody else. Like, I have to think... I would put my money on it's like if everything goes well, if if we get a happy ending, not necessarily for this season, but at least for this series, you would think that um, it would have to be Mandalorians who would take him out, um, not only for everything he's done to them in this series, but, you know, for the purge and the night of a thousand tears and everything like they've clearly established him like now, especially now that we've seen the Shadow Council and, and the larger Imperial Remnant but kind of seeing that everybody has their own focus and their own goals and everything. Um, the like Moff Gideon is the one who's got it out for the Mandalorians in particular. Um, even though the rest of the Mandalorian, the rest of the empire too knows that they would be a threat. Even one of the other guys at the council says like a resurgent Mandalore would be a threat to our plans. Um, but it's like, it's kind of like Moff Gideon is the one in charge of handling that. So I kind of like the idea of him, like for as long as the Mandalorian goes, I could see them just keeping Moff Gideon as the main villain of the Mandalorian. Now I could be wrong. They also could, you know, he could get killed off in the finale and replaced by Thrawn. But um, I kind of like this idea of like just him being the main antagonist for the Mandalorians and for this show, and then having those ties to the shadow council and the rest of the empire to tie it to the larger story and the other shows and the stuff that's eventually going to lead to the movie and the big conflict between the Empire and the New Republic with Thrawn and everything. So I like the way they set all that up. And like I said, it does kind of just leave me wondering, like, um, how long is he going to be around and, you know, what's ultimately going to happen to him and all that kind of stuff. But also, yeah, with the finale, like, are they going to, are they going to solve this, this crisis that they're in and find a way out of it? Are they going to succeed in taking Mandalore? By the end of the season, is Moff Gideon going to win this round? But then they eventually come back and take Mandalore from him by the end of the show. Um, I I have no idea. I mean, part of me, just based on the way that the show has gone up to this point, part of me is inclined to believe that, you know, things will end well and that, uh, you know, the heroes will rally and have a victory in the finale. But um I don't know. They could they could go all Game of Thrones on us and have Moff Gideon just you know kill off some more characters and decimate the Mandalorian fleet and you know leave the survivors barely getting away and then we're all sad and depressed and need Ahsoka to cheer us up in a couple months. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see how they go. And like I said, part of me is initially was hopeful, especially because I think I had seen a quote from Dave Filoni maybe from celebration or maybe it was an interview or something after yesterday's episode came out where he said that uh, the finale was going to have fans cheering. And then there's been a couple other people since then, just like today and yesterday, uh, main one, I think being Brendan Wayne, who of course is one of the guys who plays Din Djarin. Um, and he said, he, he posted like on his Instagram story or something, somebody had made a, a post about how awesome this episode was and how they couldn't wait for the finale. And uh, he reposted this person's post and said something along the lines of like, oh, be careful what you wish for, like it might hurt too much or something like that. And that made me go, oh no, yep. what's, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> in the finale that's going to hurt bad. I'm so let's let's get into finale predictions and stuff that we think might happen because you know, of course, even though this show has been or this season especially has been pretty focused just on the Mandalorians and we haven't relied on a whole lot of cameos and stuff. Like we still could maybe see some guest stars show up. And I think the one thing that, and I, I'm not expecting like Luke Skywalker to miraculously show up and save the day again or anything like that. But the one element that we haven't seen in a while is uh, Carson Teva and the New Republic. And we saw him investigating, you know, Moff Gideon's shuttle where, you know, he disappeared on his way to trial and stuff, which by the way, like just the fact that Moff Gideon has returned to this much military power and we're seeing truly like how evil and how powerful this guy is. And it's like for the new Republic, how do you just lose somebody like that? Like you're supposed to put this guy on trial for war crimes and he never shows up and you're just like, Oh, Oh, well, like Carson Teva is the only one that's like, Hey, I heard rumors that he might not have showed up for, you know, his, his execution or something like that. Like, these guys really are inept if they, uh, you know, they can't at least realize that he's missing and that they need to do something about it. If not, you know, find him and track him down again. So, um, yeah, that was a little wild. And then also, I, I do think the um, the fact that he has an army of, you know, flying Beskar clad stormtroopers now, at least for me, satisfies the mystery of, oh, who broke him out and left Beskar behind? I think it was just his stormtroopers. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, no doubts about that. Yeah, but I'm wondering if maybe Carson is, you know, these past couple episodes, of, as we've just been focused on the Mandalorians, is Carson back at base, you know, putting pieces together and, and trying to figure out where Gideon is and what's going on here. And could, uh, you know, maybe next episode uh, we get, you know, Gideon's fleet attacking the Mandalorian fleet. They initially catch them off guard. They wipe out a bunch of the ships mandalorians scramble and start fighting back but they're losing because they're outnumbered and then carson tiva shows up with a squadron of x-wings and maybe the ghost piloted by hera and zeb <laughs> and uh they help them take out the you know the imperial ships and you know save the rest of the mandalorian fleet i think that might be the cheer moment of the finale now as for the sadness moment maybe they kill the armorer first or maybe it's just watching the mandalorian fleet get decimated maybe i mean who knows what's going to happen on mandalore like could we see you know maybe a showdown between moff gideon and bogatan and it doesn't end well for bogatan or i i highly doubt that they're gonna either be successful in killing or mind wiping din jaren but like could something bad happen between din and grogu that we're not expecting mm -hmm. like you know they're obviously in a very dangerous predicament right now and any number of things could go sideways so it's funny this is almost kind of reminding me of uh, how i was feeling leading into uh the end of this most recent season of bad batch which i know we haven't really talked about yet and we got to go you know come back after mando probably and do like a full deep dive on like the second half of bad batch season two but like as we were coming up to the last couple episodes of the season where they were kind of planning this mission to go you know crosshair had uh turned against the empire and was being held for experiments and like they didn't know where but they were trying to figure out where he was and break him out. And then they had this peaceful island back on Pabu that they could go and retire to. And it was just like, man, if if the finale is just 
them, you know, the Bad Batch teaming up with like Rex and the clones and going and storming Mount Tantus and, and saving Crosshair and then they leave and make it out safely. It's like there's not going to be a whole lot of story left. They could just end the show right there if that happens, which makes me scared that something's going to go sideways because they haven't announced <laughs> oh, that this is God. the final season. And so and obviously we know that there's going to be more to the Mando story after this, but it's just like. You know, yeah, the Mandalorians could have just gone and reclaimed Mandalore and lived happily ever after, but nope, things are now going very badly. And you know, how much worse is it going to get before, um, you know, before they finally get what they want and before this is all kind of resolved? And, and you know, will it ever be resolved? I don't know, but um, yeah, it's like they could just they could get rid of Moff Gideon and the Empire and reclaim their home world of Mandalore and everybody's happy, or things could go very, very wrong. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of scared, but I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. I'm having conflicting thoughts on what I think might go down in the finale, but I will say this, man, I'm at that stage right now where just like, I am just so anxious to see it and just find out how this is all going to end and go down. This is going to be a long few days. It's like, it's almost up to that point where I gotta, I gotta resist temptation, but it's almost like I'm tempted to type in Mandalorian season three finale spoilers just because so <laughs> i just like wanted almost like no but be at ease for what might or might not happen because i'll be honest right now one of my biggest fears is that din Djarin might die and that would be a really gutsy move to kill off your main character but uh, that that uh post by brandon wayne didn't really help me much or <laughs> that's what really triggered this whole thing my fear of that happening because Obviously, he'd have firsthand knowledge of stuff like that going down. And obviously, he's going to be on set and see what stuff other happens if it is for someone else. But that just really made me think, oh, man, are they actually going to do it? It's going to kill off Din Djarin and just have the series move in a totally different direction? Because I'll say this, I'll be very disappointed if that happens. I mean, it might be something that's done beautifully and just like really pulls out the heartstrings. But the fact that um, it's only the third season of the series. I think there's a lot more story to tell with him. And I know there's been some talk going back and forth as how like Din Djarin took a backseat of the season. It's almost like that tired argument of uh, characters being getting the backseat in their own shows. I, I wouldn't go that far, but it's definitely one where he hasn't been the main focus, obviously, mm -hmm. of the story. And I think if we're going to actually kill him off, I would hope for it would be for a season where it was where he was more of the focal point of uh, a season arc story but um and then i've heard things too about how the mandalorian the title of the mandalorian just doesn't refer to din Djarin, but it's like just the mandalorians as a whole or even representing bo katan or just others I, I for me i don't necessarily agree with that i do think the mandalorian refers to din Djarin as it's been for since the beginning of the series and maybe i'm wrong in that but um, that's how i always took and i still kind of do so if you were going to kill off your main character and have it still be called the Mandalorian, I don't know. I, I would think you might even need a title change if you were going to do that. For me, anyway. Yeah, see, but. I would tend to agree with you that, like, I still think the title, The Mandalorian, refers to Din Djarin. But at the same time, even just recently at Celebration, there have been some interviews with, like, Rick Famuyiwa and Katie Sackhoff where they do kind of acknowledge that, like, oh, maybe that's changing. Maybe this season is a question of, like, what does it mean to be a Mandalorian or who is the Mandalorian or there could be multiple Mandalorians or whatever. Like, and it's weird because I do kind of feel like 
you know, especially this season, like the story has grown so much bigger than just Din Djarin. Like, and in seasons one and two, like when it was adventures, you know, things where it was just kind of him off on adventures with him and Grogu, or he was in situations or on planets where he was the only Mandalorian involved, then it was like, yeah, he was the Mandalorian. But now when he comes back to his people, he's just one of many Mandalorians. And you've seen him this season kind of be overshadowed by Bo-Katan and I wouldn't say overshadowed by like Paz Vizsla and the armor, but like they've gotten a lot of screen time as well. Um, And it's like, you could almost call the show the Mandalorians plural at this point. Yeah. exactly. Um, And it, yeah, I don't know. Like it would like, I could maybe I could see them killing off Din Djarin if they wanted to, take the show in a different direction and say like, you know, the show has kind of outgrown him at this point. Um, And we want to focus more on sort of this grander scope kind of stuff of like all of the Mandalorians versus Moff Gideon and the empire. And, and, you know, it's kind of grown beyond just like the lone gunslinger type Western, you know, kind of show that it was at the beginning. But I also still think that you could, have Din like be part, you know, sort of go through this this arc where he is just one of many Mandalorians and is like maybe not the main focal character, but focus on his people and their struggle to reclaim their home world and him being an integral part of helping them do that. And then once they do that, then you could have the next season go back to just focusing on him and Grogu kind of off doing their thing, and you could kind of have Mandalore in the background. Um, and I still kind of would like to see that um especially i mean that's that's my main thing is like if they kill off din then what do you do with grogu like, yeah exactly is he gonna go back to it's luke hard again to is it Im- gonna be it's yeah <laughs> well he could go back to luke again but it really is hard to imagine one of them without the other yeah um and, and if, it's if that were to happen too is like i mean i could see that just happening somewhere like way down the line like even when like grogu's a little older type of thing to lose his father figure that way but it just it would just seem a little too early right now yeah so but yeah, I, I don't know. It, like you said, that would it, it feels like it's possible, but it definitely would be a bold move, and I would be surprised if they went that far. Yeah, and plus, man, I want to see him in Dave Filoni's movie, man. <laughs> I want to yeah. see Din Djarin yeah. on the big screen. Now, of course, the other the other question in all this is Pedro Pascal, who become you know continues to become increasingly more popular and in demand, and um, he wasn't at Celebration this year which some could see maybe as a a telling sign, but he was at some other convention or event or something with like John Favreau and Dave Filoni, just like a couple weeks before that. um, And continues to, uh, you know, do press for the show and stuff. But, you know, there's always, there's like these persistent rumors that he doesn't like the show or doesn't want to keep doing it or something like that. And it's like, I usually don't put too much stock in that, especially because they're usually coming from like less reputable sources. But at the same time, it's just one of those persistent things that won't go away and makes you wonder, like, is there any truth to this? Um, And so it's like, if he wants out, well, then there's not really much you could do about it. Aside from the fact that like, well, I guess he is the voice of Din Djarin. I'm like, they could put anybody in that suit and continue that character. Um, and See, I, I mean, you know, even I if mean, Pedro Pascal did want out and didn't want to keep filming in the suit, like, you know, would he really turn down the job to just keep voicing the character and we could just never see him take his helmet off again? Or they could just pay pay Pedro to come back for one episode where he does that. Um, I know, it just, like, that type of stuff 
just doesn't seem to add up. Whereas, like, yeah, we know he's not in the suit most of the time anyway. And, like, does he really have that hard of a time? Or if he is unhappy, like, just doing the voiceover for it? Or maybe does he want to be in the suit more? And he's not going to take enough screen time? I don't know. I yeah, have a I'm hard not time sure. believing those reports, but. Well, and yeah, I, one thing I saw recently, because there have been things where I've heard people say like, oh, you know, he's having these blow ups on set and he's mad that he doesn't get to show his face or whatever. And I'm like, I don't buy that at all. Me neither. Um, because he knew, like, up for. <laughs> he knew what he was signing up for. Exactly. But like I saw one person recently who said that they had sources that are like, you know, Pedro Pascal is like the the sweetest nicest person and like you know nobody has anything bad to say about him but he just gets really treat poorly treated by like the executives and by disney and stuff and that's why he wants out and i'm like i mean if anything if he did want to leave that sounds more plausible i hope that's not true especially you know i hope that that mistreatment is not coming from like you know john and dave and anybody like that but um and also, I mean, that also could just be pure conjecture and speculation. These are not, you know, verified sources or anything like that. Um, but it's just one of those weird things that won't go away. And it is one of those things where it's like, well, if he wants out, then that's a whole different story as to, you know, what direction they would go with the character. Um, yeah, I, I also, one, it, one, but... one thing that's been hard to ignore this season, you know, with people talking about him being kind of pushed to the side and swept under the, or not swept under the rug, but like him kind of taking a back seat. Um, we know that this season he was off filming the last of us for a lot of it. And so even though yeah. there've always been, you know, three different guys playing the character, um, the fact that, you know, we don't really know the extent of it, but it certainly seems that there was a lot less of Pedro Pascal involved in this season of, of the Mandalorian than there were in the previous two seasons. And I wonder if that maybe contributed to them, you know, sort of writing the story or even, they may have had the scripts written ahead of time, but maybe then sort of changed some things on set to maybe put more of a focus on some of the other characters. Um, it's just something that's kind of been in the back of my mind the entire season. And so, you know, that, I don't know, do with that what you will. I'm not, I'm not trying to claim that there is drama or that he wants out or that they're going to kill off the character or anything like that. It's just something to keep in mind with all this. Yeah. Cause that's pretty much what I attributed to at first. It's just the scheduling issues with him filming the last of us and that being the reason why maybe he wasn't too involved with season three as far as doing the voiceovers so i kind of hope that's all it is but yeah i mean if any of those reports saying about him being unhappy and he wants to leave that would be a major bummer but at the same time i would hate to say it but if that's the case i would do a recast with the voice i mean i would hate to lose a great character as din jaren uh this soon and this quickly because of that um especially when you can i mean it I, you could probably find a pretty good comparable voice to it. I mean, but it's not going to be as good as Pedro Pascal is doing that. Mm -hmm. But you already got the someone in the suit down cover because, as we said, most he's not in it the majority of the time anyway. But it would just be someone finding a good replacement for that voice. And it probably wouldn't be the same. But at the same time, it's like I would probably rather have that than lose the character this early on. So I'm just really hoping this is all worry for nothing <laughs> because... I, yeah. I will say I didn't really think about it, but I did like what you mentioned earlier is like, is Gideon going to do something to him like mentally? Is he going to mess, like wipe his mind and just brainwash him in some type of way? And he's just going to be like attacking Grogu. And is that going to be the thing that's going to hurt so much? Because maybe uh, Gideon does have that uh, machine that they used on Pershing in the third episode. And maybe he's going to use that on Din Djarin and things are going to be different on that front where he isn't kind of forget everyone and forget everything and kind of have to 
uh, move on in a different way and maybe like kind of relearn what it is to be a Mandalorian again. I'm not sure, but I'd rather have exploring that avenue than having him die this serve. Because uh, that's the other thing too. If they do decide to kill him off, I'm sure John and Dave, they're just going to work it out to where it's done beautifully and to where it would be something that uh, would would feel natural to where it's like it's not coming out of left field or anything. Even though it would hurt so much, it would still feel like a beautiful moment for uh, that end of the character's journey, even though it be sucks to lose them that early. But <laughs> here's hoping it's not. But obviously we're going to in for some type of um, emotional moments in this finale because I'm kind of banking more on this being a bummer finale where the heroes don't win and it's going to end on a something where they're in defeat and Moff Gideon does have a short-lived victory here and we'll see how they how they pick up the pieces in season four but I could think of some the opposite happening too where they do in the end win the day and I think if they are What's going to do that for them is going to be the Mythosaur because we've all that kind of sus- that suspected too. that it's going to show up this season. We got a glimpse of it. And then the finale is where it's going to make its grand entrance. And I do believe that's how they're, they're going to defeat it, whether it's his, the TIE Fighters and TIE Bombers and the Flying Troopers. If it's too many of them, the Mythosaur is going to help take it out and even the playing field. And that's and if they do have victory, that's how they're going to do it. And again, going back to what um, the Armorer said in the Book of Boba Fett is how uh, the Mythosaur will just show the return of Mandalore and like restore the glory of Mandalore. And that could be that prophecy being fulfilled with the Mythosaur fully taking out Gideon and just putting an end to his uh, faction of the Empire right then and there. So if it is going to end on a happy note, I think that's how it's going to go down. But we shall see. I, man. I think you're absolutely right. And I had almost kind of forgotten about that. I actually had thought about that earlier and, and didn't bring it up. And then, you know, it just wasn't on my mind just now but you're right that is another i would almost go so far as to say that is like that has to come back into play and (laughs) that to me is like either the ultimate heartbreaking moment would be the mythosaur coming to join the battle and then you know the empire managing to kill the mythosaur but like i think that's going to be the triumphant moment i think I, I do think the Mythosaur is going to help them defeat the Empire. Whether or not it'll kill Moff Gideon remains to be seen. Because again, like for this guy who is so full of himself and has such big grand plans and grand ambitions and is so just sort of dramatic and everything, for him to be eaten by a giant monster that is like the cultural symbol of the Mandalorians would just be absolute poetic justice especially if it was awakened by the bombings on mandalore that he orchestrated Mm -hmm. um that would be absolutely perfect but also i kind of hope that even if they do win the day you know at the end of the season and and sort of defeat the imperial forces i would like to see moff gideon live to fight another day just because i want to keep seeing more of him um but gosh that would be a perfect way for him to go out and like i said i still do hope that we see the new Republic get involved and maybe that's how they, they defeat the space forces. Um, So if I had to make a prediction right now, I would say my prediction is Carson Tiva and some new Republic reinforcements help them win in space. Mythosaur helps them win on the ground. I just think they're going to suffer heavy losses before we get to that point. Um, And I mean, we could lose the armor. We could lose Bo-Katan. We could lose Din um or you know we're not losing grogu i think that's the one yeah yeah. (laughs) that's the one 
like people would stop watching if they killed off Grogu. Um, but yeah, like you said, they even could like do something to Din's mind where he either like they brainwash him to turn against Grogu or just I think the more heartbreaking thing would just be if they wiped his mind and made him forget him. Um, yeah. And I mean, ugh, even that, like, because that almost, ugh, unless it's something that can like be reversed, or if like Din and Grogu end up back together at the end and just sort of have to reforge that bond, it's like, how does that not feel like you know just erasing three seasons worth of mm -hmm. of character development? Um, so I kind of like, I hope they don't go that route. Um, but we'll see. I hope it's a long episode because they, they got a lot to cover and there's definitely a lot that can happen. Um, now, the other love. question is, aside from my prediction of, you know, maybe like, I don't know. I don't know if I if I want to bank on this, but I think it would make sense if they get some help from the New Republic. If we do get a glimpse of Hera at the end of this um, before we see her in uh, Ahsoka. But do you think we'll see anybody else show up in the finale, especially Thrawn? Because that's another question that I've seen people debating a lot. Like, will we see Thrawn before the end yeah. of the season or will we just see him in Ahsoka? And I don't think he's going to come in to, like, you know, command the battle or anything. But it could be like, um, I'm, I'm guessing, know, if anything, post-credit scene. Yeah. Yeah, like Moff Gideon. Maybe, see, maybe it's like season one. I know this wasn't a post-credit scene, but like, you know, Moff Gideon cutting his way out of the TIE Fighter with the Darksaber. Maybe it's something where like he seems to be defeated um, or like, you know, he, he go, you know goes out in an explosion or like the, the Mythosaur smacks him into a building or something like that and you think Moff Gideon's dead. And then at the end of the episode, you see he survived, he retreats to some ship or base or something he's you know and he reports back into the shadow council and maybe we see a hologram of thrawn as mm. part of the gathering this time um something like that yeah i could see something like that happening maybe we don't hear him speak but like we just see his face like we get a glimpse of him but we're going to see the true obviously reveal of the character in ahsoka um but yeah i could see that playing in a post-credit scene kind of teasing the next series um like we got in season two for the book of Boba Fett, which speaking of, if I had a wish for someone to make an appearance, as you were saying with the new Republic showing up, I mean, they'd probably have to do a lot of work around to how we found out how we would show up, but I would love to have Boba Fett come and help the Mandalorians too. Just have slave one come in a few seismic charges to take out Gideon's fleet there to help out the Mandalorians. And there you go. But <laughs> you know what though? That I actually wouldn't take off the table because at Celebration, Rick Famuyiwa did say when they were talking about the Mandalorian, mm, he right, said yeah. that the last two episodes are going to give resolution to a lot of stuff from the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. Now, he could just be talking about the Mandalorian arc in the Book of Boba Fett in terms of the Darksaber and all that kind of stuff. Um, and even, you know, Grogu's training with Luke. I mean, you know, we, we kind of got a little nod to that in this episode. But if they could find a way to work Boba into the story that made sense, that would, you know, go right along with what he's saying there. So, yep. and, uh, you know, in the book of Boba Fett, Din was willing to come and help Boba in his time of need for no charge. And so it would make sense that Boba would return the favor. I would love to see that. Yes. So that's my hopeful uh, guest appearance uh, for the finale, just to see Boba Fett and Din again. This Boba Fett with a bunch of other Mandalorians too would be kind of a sight to behold as well. So that's what I'm hoping yeah. for. Yeah.
yeah, that would be cool. Um, but man, we just got, you know, less than a week to wait. It feels like a long week. Um, I'm so anxious, <laughs> but yeah, man, I can't wait for this finale to get here. I, I mean, I've been doing it for the past few weeks, but I'm definitely staying up till midnight to watch that one. Um, and I mean, even just from talking about it, you know, this whole time, I can't wait to go back and watch, uh, you know, rewatch this week's episode again too. Same. So that, and just the whole season too, in general, I'm looking forward to rewatching it all again too. Once yeah. we get the finale to see as one uh, big story. Yeah, definitely. Especially because this season, I feel like it's definitely been building up more of a story over the course of the entire season, as opposed to, I mean, you know, seasons one and two, like had a, a, a through line story, especially season two. But like, I feel like the episodes were a lot more kind of, they stood on their own a lot better as like individual stories. Whereas this season, it's definitely felt like pieces of a bigger puzzle. And so once we get that full puzzle to go back and watch everything from beginning to end, I think will be really cool. Yeah, and then um, just and I'm sure. I mean, even now, I'm just thinking about. Man, I just want to watch the whole series again. Just go back from season one. And yeah, just watch it all. Yeah, I mean, heck, you know, that'll be interesting to see how like it even changes your perspective on like season one and two. Right. Knowing that Moff Gideon is part of this whole Shadow Council, and that you know, there's a whole lot more of the Empire still out there and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it'll be cool. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but I mean, you know, we've, we've hit pretty much everything we wanted to talk about on this episode, uh, before we wrap up and head out. Um, I know we got some comments from some folks on Twitter too, talking about, uh, you know, what they liked about it. So what did they have to say? Yeah. So first up we got uh, kid Kenobi. He says, all I can say is mind blown emoji, which yeah, <laughs> had that by the time the episode was over as well. And then Berksbud chimes in saying, what an amazing emotional roller coaster. Your song is not yet written. Who would have thought that the Bad Batch would tie into this? Still miss the Bad Batch, by the way. First time in a while that I've gassed when uh, the end credits hit. Going to be a long week. Yes, it is. But I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it. But I'm not sure what the Bad Batch connection is that he's referring yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. If it was that line, your song is not yet written. Did one of them say that in the Bad Batch finale? I'm not sure. I don't remember. No, not in the finale, I don't think. Or maybe on. some. Maybe somebody said it back in season one or something. Yeah, let us know, Berksma, <laughs> when you hear the episode. Yeah. Let us know which uh, moment you're referring to. But that was a great line, though, that your song is not yet written. And then uh, Jacob Miller says, uh, the Shadow Council was so cool to see. Wish that Ray Sloan was a part of it. Agreed. <laughs> also, the episode was called Spies. Who was the other spy? I think we'll get that reveal next episode. Final thoughts for the next episode. I think we'll see Thrawn at the end of the finale. So, yeah, all stuff I think is on the table as we discuss on all these different possibilities for what's in store for us for the finale. And then uh, Caleb chimes in saying, I'm starting to think that the title is referring to the refugee Mandos look like they intentionally steered the skiff towards the monster. And there's no way the Imperials built a big base nearby without them seeing some kind of activity. So yeah, it's kind of the stuff we're speculating on there too, as far as, and who can you trust right now <laughs> with that yeah, episode we don't know. the spies and all these characters who are kind of in question right now? But boy, is it a lot of fun talking about. It definitely is. Um, and man, I can't imagine what the conversations are going to be like next week after the finale. Hopefully we can have Paul back for that one, too. Uh, I know he wasn't able to make it today, but um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I can't wait to get here and talk about it with you guys to hear everybody's reactions. You know, thank you to everybody for chiming in with your thoughts on this one. Um, and it was nice to have an episode that like 
everybody was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Um, you know, obviously the the fan reaction has been a little bit more up and down this season, especially, you know, on, on certain episodes and definitely on the last one. But on this one, like everybody was like, yep, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, so it was just an awesome episode to watch, awesome one to talk about. And uh, can't wait to see what excitement and heartbreak and thrills they've got in store for us in the finale. So, and I just, I just gotta say too, what a great week it's been for star Wars, the celebration. And then leading up to this episode of the Mandalorian all in the span of a week, it's just been a blast and just, <laughs> uh, couldn't be happier to be a star Wars fan right now with all the stuff we got revealed and what's happening now and what we got to look forward to in the future. It's just amazing. So yeah, it's just been a lot of fun this past week. Yeah, absolutely. You can say that again. Um, I'm already like, I'm really excited for the finale, but I'm also already looking forward to Ahsoka and uh, season two of Visions. And uh, yeah, it is, as we always say around here, it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. So um, glad to be here talking about it. Glad to, to have you all you guys with us. Um, you know, again, thank you guys again for listening and engaging with us. And uh, if you want to follow us online, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. And uh, our website is starwarstsc.com if you want to check out all our episodes over there. Um, but that's going to do it for now. Uh, we will be back next week with our Mando Season 3 finale review and uh, everything that that's going to uh, have in store for us. So can't wait see you guys then thank you all for listening and uh until next time may the force be with you see you next time everybody